Hey everybody, welcome to the Others Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Penny. Joining me this week are first, I believe, Floridian, all the way from uh, sunny Florida, uh, Julio Ferrar. How you doing, man? Good, and yourself? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. You keeping safe out there in Florida? Trying my best, man. Trying my best. How about you? Yes, yes, staying indoors here, keeping safe. Luckily, we don't have the the added complication of you know, gators, meth heads, all those kinds of things. I think you uh, have an abundance of out there as well. All the fun stuff. Oh yes, having lived in Australia for quite a while, I um, I know what it's like having to deal with all that kind of deadly stuff trying to kill you on a daily basis. For sure. For sure. All right then, so this week we will be discussing uh, Gust of Wind, uh, Pharrell featuring Daft Punk, obviously from the album Girl. It was the, the fourth single from Girl, but I think it's the first one we're actually discussing on the podcast from that album, um, so we're doing it in a slightly back-to-front order. Uh, I'll go through some of the the stats as usual first off. So released on the 24th of October 2014. As I said, the fourth single from the album. Didn't chart particularly well um, across the world. It hit number two on a certain Belgian chart, the Ultra Tip Tip Flanders chart. No idea what that is. Uh, Other than that, yeah, France 32, UK R&B number 13, number 79 on the main UK singles chart. And they got to number four on, again, one of these weird US sub-charts, the, the bubbling under R&B hip-hop singles chart, whatever the hell that is. Um, aside from that... I've never even heard of that. No, that's a, every time I kind of reel these stats off, there's always some weird US billboard sub-chart that comes up and... Yeah, I can't imagine how many there actually are out there. Probably hundreds of them. But also, you know, 17 million views on YouTube at the moment. And aside from that, nothing um, really too much to speak of. It's, you know, from what I can remember of the track when it came out, it wasn't um, overly publicised or promoed. Um, I remember they did do it on, I think Pharrell performed it on, was it like The Voice or something like that in the US maybe? Um, but bar that, yeah, there wasn't wasn't too much else promo around it. I guess by that point they were probably ramping down, you know, from the the previous promo of the album. But um, yeah, let's have a have a chat about the the video and um, the song again. You know, the video is directed by uh, Edgar Wright. Uh, some people may know that name because obviously nowadays he's a fairly well known uh, film producer. Funnily enough, here's a here's a fun fact for all you listeners. He's from the same town in the UK that I'm from, uh, Paul in Dorset. Not that I know him or anything like that, but yeah, he, he was born where I was. But you may have heard of me, he directed, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, um, Baby Driver more recently, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, he, well, he adapted Tintin for Steven Spielberg, co-wrote the screenplay for Ant-Man. He was going to direct it and kind of pulled out of it, I think, but he was involved in Ant-Man. Um, he's also previously directed a few music videos uh, for the Blue Tones, who are a, a UK kind of Britpop group. Um, then some more I hadn't heard of, the 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster, whoever that is, uh, Mint Royale, 
Uh, and more recently, uh, Beck as well. Uh, actually, a very good video for Beck uh, for his single colours. Julio, give me your take on the video. Let's get your thoughts on this. Well, I, um, Steve, I you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Because sometimes you think uh, something that's very well uh, planned out may have just been coincidence. But some of the things that I have noticed, right, being that it was released um, during the fall, October, <clears throat> right, autumn, uh, that's kind of like the first thing that I get, right? Like seeing when it was released and, and, and that time playing with those earth and rustic tones, right? Like the color scheme. Um, like that was the first thing that I had noticed, which was pretty cool. Um, being the song being gust of wind, um, those color tones and when it was dropped, right? I, I, I kind of pictured it like, Hey, this was really well planned out. Uh, but I mean, again, I, I could be completely wrong. This could be total coincidence. Um, I think you're probably on to something. And it also ties into um, Edgar Wright himself and the way he directs. So if you actually, you know, earlier on, I, I kind of knew of some of the videos he'd previously directed. But if you go back and watch them, they're all on YouTube. Um, all of his music videos have... Um, that kind of color palette to them there there's a lot of yellows and oranges and browns and reds throughout all of his videos um and even in the the beck song colors which is predominantly uh blue initially with i think it's got some white accents and some black background again when it starts switching the color up um, you know, yellow is the kind of contrasting and accenting color that's used. So I think it's very much a theme that, um, that he brought to it. And I, I don't know if that tied into maybe the, the vision Pharrell had for it or whether that tied into, yeah, the kind of release schedule because they knew it would be released at that time of year. But that's definitely something I noted from, um, from Edgar Wright's other videos as well. Yeah, some of the other things that I had noticed besides those things um, is, uh, you know, what what as a director, right? Uh, how how would he, at Edgar Wright, would uh, go about with the lyrics and the title of the song "Gus of Wind"? How do you how do you show that um, visually, right? So, right, you you get the opening scene, you see these dancers in long robed. Uh, uh, <clears throat> wardrobe and um, you see it flowing right like that is a visual of the wind right the gusts of wind um, and I'll get I guess back to that but what I see or I guess uh, related with that was uh, kind of a little bit of like the cr crouching tiger hidden dragon kind of theme playing on there um uh, and there was something else that I noticed too, uh, Stephen, is that uh, the trees that they had looked like either Japanese or Chinese maple trees. I could be completely wrong, but it, it just like how the leaves look, they look like uh, Japanese or Chinese maple trees. Um, I guess, you know, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, Chinese, Japanese maple trees kind of go. Japanese culture and Nigo and all those uh, things uh, kind of, to me, had like an extra touch, right? A, an extra unique touch of 
who Pharrell is as, uh, as that kind of shows that within the video, right? Like that's kind of what I what I was getting on it. Um, let me let me switch um, from my Bluetooth headphones over to my other headphones. Technical difficulties here, people. Lovely. So yes, as you were saying about the uh, the Asian maple trees. Right, right. So you know, um, besides you know, uh, crouching, uh, crouching tiger. Um, you know, obviously the flight and hero fight scene as well. Like again, like I was saying, there, there's just like a lot of things um, kind of being shown here. Uh, I guess maybe like little Easter eggs or something to kind of pick up like his personal, like his personality and and what his interests are. Right within the video, it's just really it's a very Pharrell like video. Um, and being that you know he is. Uh, a fashion designer and he knows all about color tones as we both know being huge fans of of the shoes and and the things that um, that he puts out um we we know how far his color palette goes and and these tones um sorry about that these tones uh, are obviously easy to see in the video yeah definitely and like I said earlier, I, I don't know if that was something that, um, that Edgar Wright brought to it specifically, um, or whether that was something they maybe envisioned, envision, I can't say the word, envisioned uh, beforehand and looked at maybe who was best to uh, direct it in, in that way. But I think because of Edgar Wright's kind of previous videos and that whole, uh, you know, all the kind of tones and the color palettes that kind of work through the videos, I think probably... It was more more from his side of things that he kind of bought that. I assume the guys at AM either probably had a a vague idea of what they wanted the video to kind of be like and represent. But I think, yeah, from seeing it and knowing kind of Edgar's other kind of work, um, I think probably a, the vast majority of it came from him. I, I could definitely see that for sure. I mean, if I mean from what you're saying, I, I don't. I mean, even though I know some of Edgar Wright's um, work previously, right, like his old stuff. Um, uh, having been worked uh, with plenty of artists as a music and sound engineer for many years, um, how producers go about working with artists, sometimes they make it personable, right? Like they, they sit you down and they talk to you about some of the things that you like and your interests and stuff like that. And then sometimes, right, they, they request that they have uh, full creative control over, you know, whatever the, vi the concept or visual so yeah, yeah, I could totally see how with his previous uh, projects, those themes continue to be his own. So for sure, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and one thing I did, I noticed, and it's not something I picked up until I watched the video um, a few times on repeat earlier, is the the Daft Punk element of the video. Mm. So obviously, Daft Punk feature on the track. They they co-wrote it. Um, they also provide some of the the vocals on the the hook. Uh, via kind of you know vocode that you know typical Daft Punk style, uh, they're not credited you know as kind of co-producing or um, adding anything additional there, but we don't know. But it just kind of struck me that the song is you know it is featuring Daft Punk, but they do literally just appear on the hook, which is the same hook throughout the song, uh, and I think it plays uh, three times in the song or four times in the song. 
But if you watch the video, you feel their, their presence throughout the video. Obviously, they're not in the video. They're represented by these kind of large, I guess, rocks that are in the, the shape of the uh, their helmets. Yeah, like these stuff. What I would what I would have expected is for the camera to, you know, to for that to be there and for them to be acknowledged in some way. But as they're not physically there, I would just expect them to acknowledge Daft Punk, you know, once or twice in some kind of way. But you know, when the track opens, you have the big rocks there, their helmets there. When the chorus hits, those rocks light up. When the chorus hits later, those rocks take off and start flying and the camera spends a lot of time on them. And then at the end of the track, those rocks kind of lift off into the air, almost kind of going off into into space. But then we see that big kind of outline of each of them in their kind of you know, human form with the helmets on, kind of you know, almost like made up in the stars in the sky. Um, and it, yeah, it just, it just seemed strange that, you know, that much... Uh, time was kind of given to representing them in the video when they're not actually really there at all. Hmm. That's very interesting perspective, honestly. Um, the way I kind of uh, took it all in was uh, a separate um, uh, representation of the inspiration of the song um, where... Uh, again, kind of like the the flow of the robes of these dancers around Pharrell. How how do you show the representation of wind, right? And in some of these lyrics, uh, you know, like having enough fuel or gas or what it was, I can't recall uh, the lyrics, but it was kind of like um, uh, <clears throat> like a force of nature that uplifts and fuels the individual mentally, emotionally, like a force of nature. And, um, you know, that kind of fuel, that kind of gas, they wouldn't be able to get to those limits without that element, that person or whatever uh, may have you. Um, so that's kind of how I saw the whole uh, representation of Daft Punk uh, with the helmets, you know, then lifting up into the sky into space it was kind of like that other thing like uh the lyrics was obvious or the song itself was obviously um, you know doing some of my research was inspired by uh, pharrell's wife he had a dream about it he woke up he told her about it um and obviously with the lyrics if you reading into it you can see that it, it's her who gives him the power to you know, create and do everything that he does, right? And then for the Daft Punk part, what you're speaking on, I kind of saw that as them doing that for Pharrell for this song and for these projects that they have done, right? Like um, in, in some sort of metaphor, I guess, uh, they are uplifting each other, right? Like they fuel each other uh, artistically, musically, um, and uh, they... That's pretty much what I got out of it. It's funny you kind of you mentioned the the lyrics there as well because um, I, I kind of remember that same kind of quote or interview I think at some point in the past where um, he talks that it's kind of you know loosely about kind of Helen and if you if you you know sing the song and read the lyrics it almost is like an ode to women or a specific woman, but at the same time 
if you look at it, I, I think, or at least when I look at it, I should say, my kind of perspective on this is, as I go through it, it's also like an ode um, to God. It's actually quite, um, there's, there's a lot of religious elements in there. And what I kind of get when I was reading back through the lyrics earlier a few times is that, you know, he is essentially saying that, or he, he's implying that, you know, God is or could be a woman. Mm. And, you know, it's, and he's tying his wife into this as well. You know, she is his God almost. Because, you know, it talks about, it, in the song itself, it talks about, you know, going up to heaven. And, you know, if you have, you know, I'm uh, paraphrasing here, obviously. But, you know, if you have the right kind of faith and if you're good, you go, you know, you go upstairs to the sky, I think the lyric is, or something along those lines. And and also that line, you know, I put my hands in the air and you were there. Again, it, 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 to me, that gives the imagery of people being in church and like a church celebration where people are singing and, you know, hands are raised, to, you know, in the air to the sky, you know, as they kind of sing to, to God almost. Um, that's kind of what I got from it. And I hadn't really thought of it in that way previously, but you do actually see quite a lot of Pharrell and NERD songs where they have that kind of double meaning or double perspective where they seem to be talking about a certain thing but you can definitely interpret it um, in a very different way, and it, it tends to be with Pharrell because you know he's openly, um, you know, very religious and believes in God, etc. Um, I think with a lot of his songs, um, you can kind of take them that way as well. If you give me one second, because um, I had this similar discussion on a previous episode, sure. and now that I'm trying to find it, my my podcast account has obviously locked me out, which is helpful. <laughs> but here, here we go. Right, what was the what was the episode and what was the song? I think it was, it was, it was Angel. I do believe one of our earlier podcasts. Yes, it was. Yeah, Angel. Obviously, the title is Angel, but again, you watch the the video and it seems to be about. Um, yeah, he's kind of talking to the girl's parents and kind of narrating that story about, you know, trying to form a relationship and stuff with this girl. But at the same time, you can kind of look at it in a different way. And it's like he's, you know, he's referring to her as an angel and he's talking to not her parents, but to, to God and, you know, asking him for, for permission to, um, you know, have a relationship with this, this person. Um, and if anyone is interested in me actually giving a bit more of a detailed explanation on that, because I cannot remember for the life of me what I said, it is episode uh, 17 of this podcast, um, as I say, of the song Angel with um, Elijah McClinton joining me, who may be joining again soon at some point. It's very interesting. I've actually, I don't think I've ever been, I never wondered what Pharrell's religion was, like if he was religious at all. Actually, I didn't even know that he was. I knew that he was a very spiritual person. He's, um, uh, I guess it's easy to say uh, that he is a very positive person, very well put together. You don't ever really hear, like if it's ever anything bad about Pharrell, it's always like a lawsuit or whatever. And, and that's fine. But you never really truly hear too much like beef with Pharrell mm -hmm. and, and other people. Like he's very, like very centered 
uh, being, right? So that I like that perspective. I in I appreciate it very much because now now I'm going to be kind of looking at it differently, right? Now I'm going to step back from everything that I've ever uh, critiqued and and kind of try to find those other uh, you know symbolisms and 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 uh, it, I appreciate that. That's a really amazing perspective. I didn't even know that. I didn't even see it that way. Yeah, I don't really think it's worth looking at some of his um his work that way. I think there's a lot of, and that's the kind of almost genius of of him as a as a writer. You know, he he's able to write songs that do have that kind of poppy overture that you just assume mean one thing, but they are actually a bit deeper when you either watch the video or read the lyrics and and actually look at different ways of interpreting interpreting them. Um, also, I just want to mention on the track here, we talked about the uh, Daft Punk vocals here. Uh, Rhea is also on the track providing backing vocals. But one thing I did want to kind of point out, because I know some people have mentioned this to me in the past, and I've seen kind of internet threads about this on Reddit and in different places, and that's about Daft Punk's actual... Um, involvement in the track and their actual vocals that are on the track. Now, a few years ago, there were some some rumours and Reddit threads and stuff like that of, of people kind of claiming um, that Daft Punk didn't actually provide vocals on the track. And there was somebody who had... And you as the sound engineer will be able to kind of, you know, again, chime in on this in a moment... Um, but there was somebody who had kind of um, claimed to have broken down uh, the the hook of the the song and been able to kind of synthesize the kind of vocoder part out of the track and just you know stripped it down to a bare kind of vocal and they were like yeah you know, if you pitch it down it's basically or pitch it up wherever it might be pitch it down yeah it is Pharrell it's just Pharrell's voice um, and this was a, a, a strange kind of simple rumor that kind of you know, caught my eye a couple of years back. Um, so I listened to it and I, I sort of read through the post trying to, that explained it and listened to the, the kind of vocal samples in this person's audio samples that they said they'd produced and synthesized from, from the original. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, that does actually just sound like it's just Pharrell being vocoded and layering it on top, you know, maybe three, four times or something. So... What you know, any any Pharrell or Neptune's fan does, um, they messaged the person that recorded the, the track. <laughs> so so I hit up uh, I hit up Mike Larson who recorded and engineered the track. Was it not Mick uh, Nathan Gozaski? Goz- no, uh, Mike and it was Mike Larson that recorded it um, with, with 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 Drew. Uh, with yeah, with Drew. Uh, Andrew Coleman. Um, so they both recorded and engineered the track. So I reached out to Mike and I, I said, you know, random question. Here's what I've read and all this kind of stuff. And he was like, nope, it's not true. Like one, you, you know, his explanation was one, you can't technically do that anyway. You can't, you know, de, um, you can't break down a vocoded piece of audio and resynthesize it back to its original. It's not, you know, as far as he was well, it wasn't really possible. But then at the same time, he was the man in the room actually recording this. So <laughs> if any if if anyone's going to know, you know, how it was recorded and who's actually there doing it, um, it's that man. And yeah, he, his explanation was yes, 
Daft Punk were there, did record those vocals. Um, but there is Pharrell, Pharrell's vocals also layered in there as well. Um, so, you know, if you listen carefully, you can also kind of pick the kind of Pharrell tones out of there as well. But just to just to kind of quash that internet rumour that uh, has been circulating around for a little while, I found that kind of quite interesting. Uh, well, you know what? Something that you just brought to my attention that's quite interesting are the uh, engineers that and uh, people who were in the room that recorded uh, the song, right? Um, I actually... Uh, understood Nathan Guzanski or Mick, as they call him, his nickname, uh, was the engineer, right? And and that would have led me to kind of go into this other um, conversation of um, like what the feel or the vibe of the song and the music. And obviously, it's neo soul, you know, uh, pop funk R and B. But <clears throat> you know, knowing some of uh, uh, Pharrell's um, known, not influences, but uh, admiration for other artists like Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and Marvin Gaye. That's kind of what I got out of it, right? Like, this is kind of a his version of what these kind of projects would have been in a way with his own touch. And Mick, uh, Nathan Guzinski, he actually engineered for Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones. So I I kind of just paired those two together and I was like, well, that makes total sense, right? Like this kind of new age, modern, neo soul, pop funk, R&B track or tracks is kind of giving me that what maybe a modern Michael Jackson song would be or somebody who would be taking that uh, that crown, right? Like we, we don't. I know that uh, a lot of times in culture, uh, you know, or <clears throat> in groups, we like to compare people, whether it be in sports or music, like who's going to be the one taking the torch, you know? And, um, you know, at, at this moment, I don't think there's really anybody that I personally would think that holds like the king of pop. Um, but I mean, arguably, I mean, if I had to choose somebody, I would think Pharrell, right? Like it, it, musically and sonically, how uh, timeless a lot of Michael Jackson's songs are. I think that that me personally, I believe that uh, Pharrell is trying to accomplish kind of those kinds of uh, achievements, right? He, he he wants to achieve something that later down the line would then maybe even possibly would flatter him being compared to a Michael Jackson, like, Hey, you're, you know, you are this person or you're the new, this or something along those lines. That that's why it was really interesting when you told me those others, uh, engineers names, I was, I was like, man, that throws out my idea out the window completely. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm going to definitely have to just, uh, be a little bit more careful in my, uh, investigation here, uh, in the future for sure. I'm just going to pull up the um, track info here. Yeah, so Mick, Mick was involved. He did the mixing okay. on the, the track from what I can see. Okay. But um, yeah, mixing doesn't really have too much to do with the actual process, right? Like when you're recording, mixing is after recording, right? So yeah. for the most part, at least. Um, so, But yeah, ed- editing was done by Drew, recorded by... Uh, Mike and Drew and arranged by Mike, Drew and Pharrell as well by the looks of it. Yeah, so yeah, again, that theory, that thought process out the window. <laughs> <laughs> but totally fine. I mean, again, that 
that allows me to kind of just rethink a couple things uh, on the song. I mean, what, 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 what did you get out of that? Like when you, when you hear some of these songs, whether you like it or not, and you see the, the different direction that Pharrell is going with a song like Gust of Wind, what are the kind of vibes? Like what, what is similar to maybe previous artists or, or iconic artists to you? Like what, where do you see it kind of going? With the, with the girl album, I'm not, I'm not too sure because it is such a kind of, and like it is with a lot of Pharrell stuff and NERD stuff, it's, it's an almost kind of very eclectic mix. Um, and, you know, I guess, yeah, the, the comparison, I guess, would be kind of later Michael Jackson, Prince type stuff where, yeah, you have R&B, hip hop, jazz, funk, rock and roll, um, many other kind of genres all kind of, you know, fused in there somehow. Um, but, you know, as a standalone kind of album, I don't, I, I'm not sure I could really pick a, a kind of direct comparison or anything like that. Um, it was obviously a very different direction for him at the time. And I initially wasn't overly keen on the album, shall I say. Um, but it ha it's an album that has definitely grown on me and I do actually quite enjoy listening to now. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm not too sure if I, I could or would compare it to something else. No, for sure. And you're right. Like, um, being that he loves being so unique and, and being one of a kind and standing out, you're right. Like it is a very eclectic uh, project, right? Like trying to, uh, put something on it, like label it as a project in its entirety would be very difficult. Um, uh, for me, uh, just for the song alone, I kind of got like a super, throwback soul approach kind of like uh, the temptations my girl kind of thing and um again like a lot of, it just kind of felt like there was a lot of influence there of these people that you were naming right and you know marvin gay and and like all the genres that you were saying right like it, there's there's mm -hmm. there's little bits and pieces in there where he put all together yeah. and obviously made made it his own uh as pharrell does um but yeah i mean um, like yourself, I, 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 I'm not, I wasn't too keen as well when the, when the album first dropped, I was kind of, uh, I had to step back like, whoa, this is a Pharrell project. What's going on here? Uh, but yeah, over time, definitely I've, I've, there are some songs that I, I do enjoy, um, listening to for sure. I have to mention one, the kind of one big standout thing for me on this track and what I do really, really like about it is the real um well is the strings basically you know there's a there's a full orchestra playing in this and arranged by Hans Zimmer as well obviously he was working with Hans Zimmer at the time on the uh, I think the Despicable Me stuff around that time so you know, there's a Hans Zimmer string arrangement in there there's 11 violinists and um numerous other um string players um and that's the you know, give me any song with either really big, strong horns or really big, strong um, string sections. And, you know, mo nine times out of ten, I'm in love. Um, so that's kind of what really pulls me to, to this track. Um, it's probably not one of the strongest Pharrell tracks, but I personally enjoy it just because of 
all of those strings are involved in there and the way it's arranged and the kind of whole orchestra that's involved in it and then you tie that in with the kind of daft punk side of things as well and you bring that kind of slight funkier more electro side as well i think it ties together really really nicely i'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's actually one of the other reasons why i got this very quincy jones kind of feel being that you know uh, for those in the know, uh, you know, Quincy Jones is, is a, was or is a composer, right? Like all, his whole life um, with symphonies and orchestras. And um, that's kind of how I how I also took in those those strings and horns um, and myself included. Right. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I kind of led myself to get into that zone that that thought process of michael jackson quincy kind of thing that soul vibe but again with a modern touch like you said with all the electro and the daft punk stuff in the background and the vocoder uh very very much pharrell but again kind of bleeding through some of these uh air quotes here inspiration uh from uh other artists and producers and stuff like that um, what else did I have to note in my in my notes, as it were? I guess a very quick mention on the the kind of styling there. You've also, you've already touched upon the um, the wardrobe of the the dancers, the the bays as they were called. I absolutely fucking detest that name. It's awful. <laughs> um, but Pharrell's styling was um, very low key for this one. Yeah, he's. There's no uh, kind of BBC ice cream branding, which we were starting to see again around that time. You know, some of the happy videos and versions he had some on, um, some of the other videos he had, but nothing there this time. The only kind of branding was obviously the Adidas jeans, uh, which I don't think ever got released or anything. I'm, I'm assuming they were kind of custom made for him because he, he did spend a year or year and a half wearing those jeans almost endlessly. <laughs> Uh, with the kind of Adidas sign on the on the back, um, and obviously that was at the near the start of his uh, initial Adidas deal, sneaker deal that he had with them, clothing deal. Um, but yeah, aside from that, he's got a pair of like tan boots on. They're not Timberlands, but I can't quite tell what they are. There's a kind of uh, bleached a blue jumper with you know bleached parts on it. Uh, again, like a yellowy. Um, almost orangey colour tying into the whole kind of colour scheme as the boots are as well. And then the hat as well, which is a kind of off-brown, grey kind of um, buffalo hat, which obviously he was sporting around that time um, in every every video and public appearance going. But then, aside from that, so, which is a, fair, that's a fairly, I guess, nor- normal outfit, but then on his jumper, he's got that big kind of... Um, safety pin type thing attached to his jumper and i have no idea where that comes from what it signifies or represents whether it's just some you know random kind of fashion piece from somebody whether a stylist thought it represented something it was just a a, i think a slightly strange addition to the uh to the outfit and and you know what well uh, i can't wait for after we discuss the song that we could kind of touch on some of those things um, 
and what he has done for like Chanel and Louis Vuitton and all those other companies uh, in those collaborations, it, it, it definitely does look like, to your point, like um, maybe somebody at Chanel or one of these high-end uh, fashion brands may have gifted him of one of one or one of few uh, like pieces. The, that Those pins were very strange. I, I, I am in agreement with you on all that. Uh, and you know what? You're right. I didn't see any sort of these brandings, um, like you were saying, like BBC and stuff like that. And then obviously the jeans was probably the only thing, but I actually didn't, I didn't, uh, pick up on that right away. What I did pick up on, however, was the, br- uh, the branding of I am other, uh, mm-hmm. In the lyrics, writing uh, there's a lyric towards the end that says, "Writing away that electrified mothership other," and I, I, I kind of associated that with the I am other uh, branding, and um, that was just like one thing that I, I guess popped out to me. But you know what? If you don't mind, Stephen, I'd like to kind of go back to um, your your statement on um, Pharrell. In a lot of his songs, um, but speaking on this one, uh, referring to women being God or God being a woman, um, Mm -hmm. because I have some notes here. And now that I'm looking at it, uh, they were completely separate to that thought. But now that I'm looking at it, it kind of seems like they may have been like they they tie into it. Right. Uh, So like I had said before, uh, the gas right without without the gas you know, Pharrell can't get to these, these amazing heights and accomplish these amazing things. It's kind of like, like you said, if you were to look at it in a more religious way, uh, you know, it's kind of like he's saying this female God, right. Um, without that wind, that, that, uh, force of nature or this force ushering the air to power him, he can't do it, right? But then the wind and the air is always around and is always by his side. So again, kind of, I mean, if you start thinking about it, that, that's what kind of God is in religion when you go to church, right? Like they say that uh, God is always with you. He's always with us. He's always by your side. Uh, God could give you power to do amazing things with, you know, having faith in God. You know, you could accomplish anything. So, you know, with what you had said and some of the notes here, it kind of it's starting to make more and more sense to me as 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 far as like that that thought process goes. Um, and I just wanted to kind of bring that up and and say that because it, it's as I'm seeing it happen literally right now, I'm just like, wow, that's that's freaking nuts. That is freaking nuts. Yeah, exactly. I think even if you just go back to the the chorus that you know Daft Punk do, it's um. You know, I'll, I'll read it off. I won't, I won't torture anybody by trying to <laughs> sing it in any kind of way or even try to be melodic in any way. But, you ha- yeah, it, it starts off like a gust of wind. You head me off sometimes. So, again, that's someone that can um, get in front of, of him, uh, maybe stop him or encourage him in some way. And it's like a gust of wind. You push me back every once in a while. So, again, you know, it's like in a relationship, you know, your partner will be there sometimes to be in front of you and encourage you, but sometimes they'll have to tell you to, you know, calm down and ease up and actually put their foot down and tell you you're being a dick maybe or whatever it might be. And again, that comes with, you know, if you're a person of faith, faith that can come from God as well. You, know, you look to God for these kind of um, 
this inspiration and sometimes that will be yes go and do things or no hold back um and again so like a gust of wind you remind me there's someone up there again to me that signifies you know so the wind is reminding him that god is around him and uh, you know god whoever that god is is there up in the up in the sky somewhere um and it carries on you know who who ushers in the air i need to power my sail so again it's that that air giving him that um that that energy to do things it's that you know the that the adage like you know the the wind beneath my wings it's you know the ability to you know lift him up when he needs lifting up to to power him move him forward um but as the lyrics also say you know to sometimes calm him down stop him push back on him say no to him whatever it might be absolutely absolutely but again i I just wanted to just you know bring that up because i was like man you know he really does bring up a, a really good point and and my notes somehow uh strength strengthen that that thought right like it, it really just puts it all together another thing that i found interesting is is that this is uh actually pharrell's favorite song of the whole album oh really yeah that's really interesting i i, I don't know why this one out of out of all the rest but th- apparently this is his I mean, he's quoted saying that this is his favorite song out of the whole girl album I guess potentially because it does, you know, it comes from potentially that um, influence of his wife and of his religion as well, which is very important to him and, and stuff like that. Um, and I I'm just looking at the track track list for the album as well. And it's, um, again, it's, it's not my favorite track, but I guess if you are looking for, you know, kind of personal meaning and what might be actually really important to him personally, then... Then yeah, you know this one's probably going to stand out amongst uh, all of the others. This one in you know Lost Queen maybe, but yeah, it's I can see why yeah it would potentially be you know his own personal favorite track. What's what's your like number one from that hmm. album? If you had to choose just one, what would it be? Uh, it, it would be between two for me. I, again, I like. Uh, Lost Queen and I like the the second half of that track as well the kind of hidden track in mm. there but then I also like Brand New as well the I think the second track on the album with um with Justin Timberlake yeah that's that's actually my favorite is the uh, Brand New Great Mind Stinker like <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right so what else I think that's all of my uh my notes on the on the track anything else from yourself no, I, I I mean I I definitely went through it and I'm done as well on my notes. I see you scrunching up those notes. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get on to some of the um, latest news, and I will also uh, talk about the new uh, Reebok ice creams, and then obviously uh, anything you've got as well. Um, we can start going through. So the, the news in brief. Um, I forgot to mention last week. Uh, it completely slipped my mind. If you are a BBC fan, if you are a BBC EU fan, um, now is the time to get on their their website. You know, while this whole whole kind of quarantine thing is going on, um, they do have uh, an up to forty percent off sale on a lot of a lot of items. Um, there's actually some very nice items in the sale. I think from most of them from last season, and now obviously with. BBC EU being the the luxury arm of the brand, um, the prices there are not insignificant. So you know while you can get forty percent off, 
if you're a fan of the stuff over there, you know, get on the website, get in the sales section and definitely go and check it out. Um, also this week, so today's Wednesday, we're recording this. I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, the first drop of the uh, pre-fall 2020 uh, release came out. Uh, initially, it's kind of, I think, six or eight t-shirts and hoodies uh, with the BBC Arch logo on the front um, in various different colorways, uh, as well as uh, an Astro Varsity jacket in a kind of green and cream color and that's an eu exclusive the jacket i really like um a couple of the hoodies uh are in a really really nice colorway uh, i think there's a blue one that was really nice um there was a bot if i remember rightly a black one with maybe pink lettering um again really really nice but again it's bbc eu so you will be paying quite a lot for those items if you do like them but first drop is out Second drop will be, I think, maybe the week after next. They're normally every two or three weeks, I think, if I remember rightly. Uh, we've also seen the release of some of the uh, sneakers that we talked about in the last uh, episode. So the new uh, Adidas Hue collection, which includes a pair of Stan Smiths, uh, a pair of Nisa Highs, uh, some SE Premieres, and some Continental 80s. They've all come out. They've been released. Uh, as well as the zero to 60 statements, which came out again. I think that was yesterday they came out. Um, they've also released some apparel with these um, these basketball shoes. The zero to 60 statements, I've got to say, they've, they've grown on me a little bit. Really? But I, I don't think I could wear them or pull them off in any kind of way. Um, I'm not an astronaut for a living. <laughs> I'm not going to Mars at any time in the near future. <laughs> And I'm certainly not playing basketball, you know, either in my house or outside of my house or on Mars. So I'm not sure I could pull them off. But I have to say, the apparel that has come out, there, there I believe there's a T-shirt, there's some shorts, and there's a hoodie. I think they are really, really nice. The hoodie especially. Um, I don't quite know how to explain the kind of weird and wonderful colorway that it has. Um and the patterning it has on it, but I recommend uh, people go and check it out. I think you can get them on the BBC website um, or on adidas.com uh, or probably various other places as well, your own kind of local boutiques and whatnot. But definitely go and check them out. They're, um, the hoodies and the t-shirts and the shorts are really, really nice. Have you seen the zero to 60 statements? Yeah, I. so I really like the design of it. Uh, personally but i don't like the colorway i don't like i also don't like the apparel like it i i'm i it's nice but it's just it's not not something i could pull off man it's just not something <laughs> i could pull off however um on the the new hue collection that dropped um i mean again there's a lot of a lot of it that i'm i'm not too uh keen on um, just like the color schemes are a little bit wild or the, the designs are a little bit wild, but I do love, um, the campus, the Stan Smith, uh, the most out of those, uh, in those cream colors that have released or whatever color that is. And, um, yeah. the knees are high, even though I'm, I'm no longer a high top fan, I stopped buying high tops a while ago and the SC Premier and the Continental 80. I liked all those three, even though it's th those mm -hmm. are models of shoes that I probably would never buy um, just because they're just not my style, but I really did like them a lot. 
Um, and I actually may buy the Campus or the Stan Smith, uh, the Hughes that, that just came out. Yeah, the Stan Smiths I quite like. It's quite a kind of contrast because obviously the last three, four years we've seen all these kind of crazy colorways, every different version of um, every different color you can imagine. And now we've got these kind of four items released all in kind of very muted kind of, yeah, cream colours with pastel shaded um, kind of laces as well. Um, so a very kind of muted collection. But then, you know, offsetting that against the the 0 to 60 statements, which are, you know, I think four or five different materials. They're iridescent in certain parts. And, you know, people are going to see you coming in those Oh, yeah, ones. they're very, very, very loud. And you know what? I'll, I'll even add something else to the, the ones that I mentioned, like the plain ones, like the Nisa High, the SC, the Continental, Stan Smith, and Campus. It also seems like it, they're not your typical regular ones or even something that he has previously touched on before. It seems like he added something extra, something that we're very familiar within the BBC ice cream world where it's it's a it, it looks a lot more premium, right? Like the stitching and the the leather seems more premium. I mean, obviously without having them in front of me or, or being able to touch it, I can't really know for sure. But it just kind of zooming in on some of those shoes, like the Stan Smiths and the and the campus, I kind of noticed a little bit of different stitching on those very iconic Adidas uh, silhouette shoes. And I was like, man, it, it seems like they went a little bit extra. They 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 over exceeded the expectation, right? Like, and and I I like it. I, that's kind of the reason why I'm thinking about buying them. They're they're just super different from the typical Stan Smiths that he has pushed out before, um, especially like the 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 ones that came out I think three years ago, uh, the palm trees with Adidas uh, Stan Smith and the mm -hmm. uh, dollar and diamond ones that came out. It just again. It looks like the leather is just a step above, like it's just extra. It looks extra soft, like Italian leather, and the and the yeah. stitching with it for the the hue tag, also just some sort of attention to detail, kind of reminiscent of those things that we love so much from the classic uh, seasons of BBC and ice cream, right? Like those little uh, details. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's um. Yeah, I've not seen them in front of me. I've only seen the, the kind of images online. And yeah, I don't know whether it's um, it's because of the colorway. It's that kind of creamy, buttery kind of color that gives the impression it's maybe a, a slightly nicer, softer kind of leather. Or whether it's just the kind of standard ones you mentioned that you know you get on essentially any pair of Stan Smiths, which we saw with the the kind of palm tree palm tree ones and. Uh, other ones kind of since then but but yes yeah, so i'm going to try and um see if anywhere around here is stocking them at any point and i'll go and have a look probably not going to buy any of them but um i'll go and have a look at them anyway what did what did so did you not like uh the letterman jacket for uh for the eu uh fall pre-fall drop i i really liked it yeah the astro varsity one the green and cream oh. one um yeah so it's a really nice jacket really nice by far that item and the rug the heart and mind rug those yeah. were like if, if i could i would fire off on those immediately like i i've always wanted a letterman jacket from bbc ice cream haven't had the chance to either purchase a resale or when when they drop but if I can, this one would be one for me to to definitely jump on. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice design, and as you say, it's an EU exclusive as well. So designed by uh, by Ross and the guys out there in London. 
Um, check it out on the website, but um, if you don't get a chance, yeah, it's got the the kind of the current heart and mind logo that they're using uh, on the back of the jacket. Um, it's then got I think the the rocket ships down the the arms, uh, and then obviously the the astronaut head on the on the front on the chest on one side I believe, with kind of a main cream uh, green body color and then gre- uh, cream oh, getting them back front a green body color and cream arms is what I'm trying to say, and then while we're talking about things we're we're not going to buy, <laughs> let's talk about something I have actually bought recently. Now bear with me as I reach under my desk to, to pick this up so it's in front of me. Oh, man. Oh, God. Right. So, Reebok and ice cream. These, this is a, a contentious subject amongst our, our community and our fellow sneaker collectors and BBC collectors. Um, and I, I've given my kind of opinion and you know, obviously also a few episodes back, I talked to, to Jimmy Gorecki about this, who was kind of partly involved in, in some of this stuff as well. And he gave his his opinion on the on on these and the other ones that had kind of come out recently. Um, and he was, you know, giving them very kind of, you know, positive reviews and talking about how it's, um, it's as close to the kind of, you know, BBC ice cream DNA as they kind of could have got. Um, so obviously I, I had my initial opinions on this. Um, but I thought I can't really be recording this podcast, you know, week in, week out, month in, month out, you know, whenever it is I do it and be giving my opinion on these without actually having a pair and actually seeing what they're, what they're like. So I think towards the back end of last year, I, um, I placed an order for a pair. I found a place that could do pre-orders um, and I ordered a pair and they actually came, I believe it was last week, when, just before I recorded. Um, so about a week ago. Um, so I just want to kind of briefly talk about my view of them now that I have a pair in, in hand here. Um, and just, you know, whether they've met expectations or fallen below or exceeded or whatever it might be. So just very briefly... Obviously, you know, the original ice creams are known and beloved for not just the the designs and the prints, but also the kind of quality that came with them in terms of the accessories, you know, the extra laces, the shoehorn, the kind of tissue paper that kind of came around them, the, you know, the brown tissue paper with the pink cone man and ice cream printed on them, and then the kind of, you know, iconic... Uh, shoe box that they came in or ice cream tub however you uh, refer to it and you know now we're at a stage in 2020 where you know you go and buy a pair of um, Hue NMDs let's say for example and you pay what do I pay 250 euros for a pair and that's a premium top end or top of the line um, pair of shoes pair of sneakers and all you get is the same shitty Adidas box that you get with a pair of on-sale 50-euro Stan Smiths or whatever it, whatever it might be. Mm. You, know, you don't really get that kind of real premium experience that you might, might sometimes expect with a real high-end uh, shoe. 
So this is kind of where I had the fear with these. I'd seen the images of the boxes and stuff like that, and it looks similar. Um, but what I wanted to see was, you know, what was the quality of all of the stuff around the shoe there? It's not exactly there, but it's 90 to 95% there. This shoe, so these, I got the tan diamond and dollar um, low version, which you can obviously get like a, a mid or high version as well. Um, I got the low version, obviously they look most like the original ice creams. Um, and I'm just trying to open the box here while it's sat next to me. And yeah, I, I was kind of initially skeptical of what the quality of the stuff around the shoe is going to be like. Now, the main difference in terms of the box is, you know, some of the wording is slightly different. There's additional kind of printed things on it, but yeah, it adheres 90%, 95% to the, the original boxes. The only thing that's maybe slightly different is the, the kind of cardboard that's used around the box. Obviously on the originals was like a, a, a corrugated kind of cardboard. Um, it had you know ridges in it all the way around, whereas this is just kind of completely flat. But you can see there is a really good attention to detail in terms of the lid of the box. So again, you've got a big, thick, sturdy lid. I cannot, I'm pushing on this lid trying to bend it and I can't bend it. It's really thick, really sturdy, solid cardboard. Um, but even on the inside lip of the lid, you have um, the kind of ice cream logos and motifs all the way around the inside of the lid, not just you know the outside of the lid. So the box itself is really good quality and compared to any modern sneaker, um, this is way above and beyond that. And the point I was trying to get to earlier, which I then diverged away from, is I bought this pair. This pair, I think, cost me 120 euros. Um, obviously, original ice creams were even more, you know, more expensive than that, which is why I kind of feared that um, the quality would not be quite so good. And obviously, we've got very expensive pairs now where you don't get the quality at all. But for a shoe at this price point, which is essentially yeah, half the price of an NMD, um, around the same price as uh, you know, uh, a Stan Smith collaboration, it's I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at the quality of, of the box, let's say. Um, and it's better than you know, shoes that are two or three times the price. Once you get into the box, you've got this, you may be able to hear it rustling away here you've got the kind of the paper inside this isn't again it's a slightly different paper the stuff before was you know the the brown tissue paper with the kind of pink writing and logos on it this is white with kind of silvery gray logos on it the paper's a little bit thicker as well i think it's probably a little bit cheaper mm. a bit thicker and cheaper it's not cut quite as fine it's um not quite as tissue papery as you know the original one. I quite like that though, because the issue I always had with the originals in the paper inside is it would rip quite easily. Yeah. Once you get inside, you've got the accessories. So you've got the laces, which I haven't actually yet opened. So I've got I've actually got two pairs of spare laces here, a light, a light blue and a dark blue, as well as the tan pair that are in the shoe already. Again, the lace tips 
they have the ice cream logo on, which is that extra kind of luxury step I didn't think they would take, that extra attention to detail. There is also a shoehorn in here somewhere. I can't quite find it, here it is. There is a shoehorn in here, I haven't opened it. This is actually in a, a sealed cardboard package now as opposed to uh, the pink ice cream scoop shoehorn you got in the originals which had, which was inside the kind of uh, see-through plastic so you could kind of see it. This is in like a cardboard version. It feels, I'm not gonna open it, I'm gonna tear it open now, but it feels a little bit bigger in fact. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cardboard, it's got the kind of branding on the outside of the package. But you've got that as well, um, and they seem to have done it fairly well. And then you've got the the shoe itself. So initially you've got the kind of iconic plastic cone man uh, tag that you get you know, attached to the shoe, which yeah, if you are a BBC ice cream collector or wearer, uh, you should be wearing and keeping on the shoe itself. Top tip for you. And then the shoe itself, Again, it is much, much better quality than I expected it to be. The print is good. The stitching is really good, especially around the, the ice cream logo um, or tag on the tongue. Um, the stitching of the, the Cones and Bones character on the back near the heel um, is really nicely done. Generally, all in all, it seems like a really good kind of quality shoe. You obviously have the Reebok logo incorporated into this shoe, which you obviously never had on the ice creams. The Reebok logo is visible on both the inside and the outside of the shoe across the main body of it. Mm. But it's incorporated in really nicely to the point where you would hardly even notice it, basically. Um, so that I really like. I think they've done that very well. Um, yeah, they obviously wanted their branding in there, but they've done it low-key enough that you're not going to overtly notice mm. it. The only area where I think this, this shoe kind of falls down a little bit, let's say, is the kind of iconic sole of a BBC shoe. Uh, BBC, an ice cream shoe, I should say. Now, obviously, on the original ice cream shoe, you had the sole, and towards the, the back end of the sole, you had the the little kind of strange looking cone man um character who looked like he'd recently had a, a stroke or something <laughs> he he was slightly different to the other cone man character that you got um but he is no longer present now you just have you know reebok um kind of em embossed on there almost and then when you turn the shoe over obviously you know the one really big talking point about um ice creams aside from you know the, the prints themselves is the sole and that kind of see-through plastic sole where obviously when you put the shoes together you get the kind of um the the astronaut there in full almost that is completely gone with this shoe um you just have a a, a very standard plain uh reebok sole on the bottom of these yeah i get i guess at this price point they've they've obviously got to find somewhere to cut some costs and bring the price point down slightly. Um, and I imagine that part of the, the original shoes was obviously very, very expensive to manufacture. Um, having that kind of printing on the inside of the sole and then having that overlaid with that kind of see-through plastic, which was which was also um, kind of molded in a, in a certain way as well. Um, 
I'm imagining that's a very, very expensive process, in fact. So that's the kind of one area these kind of fall down. I would like to have, I would have preferred they did something a bit better with the sole and increased the price up to 140, 150 maybe, whatever it kind of needs to be. But all in all, these shoes, uh, they, they are, let's say beyond my expectations of what they would what they would be like in terms of the design, the quality, um, the accessories and bits that you get with them as well. Um, I am very pleasantly surprised. Um, I would, you know, for 120 euros, I don't know what that is in US dollars. Not too far off. Um, Yeah, probably around the same, to be honest. Um, For that kind of price, if if you're an ice cream fan and you're one of these people that has been forever saying how disgusted you are that they've done this and how you would never buy them and all that kind of nonsense, I would recommend going out and buying a pair at this price point because even if you don't like them and even if you are truly, truly against them doing this, for for that price point and for what you get in terms of the shoe and the accessories and everything that comes with it, um, I personally think you're getting a bit of a bargain, if I'm, if I'm honest, because I seriously do not think Reebok or BBC are making any real profit on on these. Even if they sold them in quantity, um, I really don't think they're going to be making much money on them because, like I say, just, just the box and the accessories and things like that to manufacture them. Um, and they've obviously, they're obviously doing it differently to how it was done originally and probably doing it at quantity and at a lower cost. They're still, you know really really almost you know luxury items again in terms of what comes with them and how they're made how they're put together um so i would i would recommend getting a pair and if you don't like them yeah then go and sell them or you know do something else with them but for 120 euros uh yeah i own many more shoes that have cost much more than this that are of lesser quality and don't come with any of these extra bits that you get so I recommend getting a pair. I recommend trying them um, and seeing what you think of them. Personally, I'm not a fan of the um, the other version. I can't remember if they're mids or they're highs. They're, whatever they're highs, they are. they're highs. And, and the other trainer ones too, I, I, I think they're extremely uh, ugly. And it's a... Um, yeah, a, I'm not a fan of them. You know, with the, the big old tongue sticking out the front. They remind me of the old kind of um, like Supra type <laughs> shoes that like... Like little Wayne used to wear. They're not. They're not even like an Air Force One high top. They're they're a bit, a bit off. So I don't like them. And obviously, you know, we've got the um, the Iversons as well, which I still can't wrap my head around. We've got. I think it's three colorways. Yeah. Oh yeah, three colorways. Yeah, I, I can't get my head around them, and I, I don't play basketball. Um, so those are a kind of no go for me. I'm not going to purchase them. But again, you know, if they come with the same box, the same accessories, all that kind of thing. I think if you do like them or if you are debating buying them, um, I think you you will be getting your money's worth, put it that way. So after that little kind of ramble about what I think of them, I shall put them away. And while I do that, where do you stand on um, this kind of reissue of these kind of you know iconic shoes? You know, I do agree. Uh, I do agree that, you know... For the price point, um, I think it's a good a good 
purchase. I think it, it would be a good pickup, but only on two colors, right? The, the colors, that, the, the pair that you have, the tan with the, uh, the D&D logo, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be one that I would definitely purchase. And the exclusive uh, Complex Con, the full yellow or banana split or whatever they're calling it now on the internet, that's the other one that I would purchase. Now, that being said... Um, you make some amazing points on, uh, I guess the box, right? Uh, how it's, it's a well-made box, the accessories and this, that, and the other, but again, uh, they're putting two iconic shoes together, right? You have in the back of the shoe, you have the iconic, uh, ice cream crossbone. And then on the tongue, you have the boutique uh, ice cream patch. So <clears throat> it's the board flip mixed with the boutique. Um, <clears throat> and what I wanted to uh, say about it is, is that they're, they're starting to put or mix two materials that weren't ever mixed before, or at least maybe only in, in the board flips. The board flips had the suede with leather. Whereas the mm-hmm. boutiques only just had leather inside and out. Now this new shoe, the the four hundred, the four thousand, the BB four thousand, you you get both, right? Uh, but again, with some of the designs and colorways of the boutique, uh, where it seems to be have have been the focus, right? With the little ice cream man uh, keychain and uh, all the other accessories and shoelaces and stuff like that. I also agree with you. They should have definitely done something a little extra uh, for the bottom, giving it that icy glass uh, bottom finish to uh, like see through some other design. Um, I think that would have definitely kind of nailed this new interpretation. Um, However, for the high tops and the zips or whatever they're called, the zaps, uh, the Iversons, um, I, I just think, I, I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking to be honest. Like, well, <laughs> it, it, you know, obviously we all know, uh, that you and, and David Travis, uh, AKA King of Creams are, are good friends, work together, um, and, and speak to each other quite often. And when these things were happening, you and I had had, uh, uh, you know, uh, pre-production conversation. And, and I had told you that I, I spoke to, to, to Trav about, about these, as they were dropping, as the information was coming out on the internet and I was losing my mind. I was like, they're killing the soul, right? That being said though, uh, I think they could have really nailed it had they been a little bit more reserved on how they were going to go about it. If they didn't do the Iversons, if they didn't do the the zaps or whatever those weird ones are, the zigs, zig trainers, that's what they're called, and the high tops. Oh, I forgot about the zigs as well. I actually quite, I've got, to, I quite like those actually. That Starfield design, I've got to say, I quite like I them. Think yeah, they're ugly, man. Like, and, <laughs> and, and mind you, the 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 camo and the um, the space theme, right? Those backdrops, those those colorways, like those are my favorite. Like anytime. BBC Ice Cream comes out with that camo print or that space uh, print themes. I love it. I, I try to jump on it as fast as I can. Uh, but just to kind of wrap it up and not to just rant too much on it, I, I feel like a lot of these attempts were 
uh, ingenuine and not organic. And when you get the tan ones, the ones that you have, and the all yellow ones that I feel, those two, um, I feel those are the two best ones out of the all the new collection. It ends up kind of translating as the same thing, that it seems ingenuine. And I think that if the, only those two colorways and, and that low-top model were just to come out, I think the response would have been different. I really, truly believe that the response would have been different if it was only the yellow one and the tan with the dollar and dime diamond sign. Uh, but because they put out these ugly high tops and these Iversons and the the trainers, uh, I, I think it just kind of got lost. And uh, like you said, you know, it's a very touchy subject for for us uh, fans that are, you know, they don't want anything to be changed or redone or. It, it just it just seems like Reebok just wants to make a quick buck, and you, and you do make a valid point. Like maybe they aren't making that much, and they should have done the ice bottom. Uh, who knows what the price point would have been? But you know what, uh, Stephen, I I saw <clears throat> uh, recently some Reebok classics, right, uh, with an ice mm -hmm. bottom, no no logo or design underneath that glass bottom or ice bottom. Uh, but again about 120 american so for you it, that might be maybe 95 euro i mean that's that's even mm -hmm. cheaper and that has the glass bottom so i don't know why they didn't do that i don't i don't understand why they didn't they didn't add that key feature and you know what i think with the kind of audience that you're trying to sell these to that the people you're trying to sell these to you know i think we we'd put up the extra cash for it Right for that extra detail, I I certainly would. Mm -hmm. I would definitely appreciate it, um, and I would definitely pay a higher a higher price for that extra detail. Uh, but but yeah, I I think uh, just to go back to uh, your point, um, I I think I'm going to pick up the yellow ones from the the Comic Con exclusives and and the and the pair that you have the uh, the tan with the dollar and diamond. I I, I think I'm going to add those to my collection. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, again, for for the price point they're at, they're they're worth copying just just as a pair to just you know wear every day. I think if you if you generally like that kind of design of shoe and that kind of silhouette, um, yeah, I think you're getting more than more than your money's worth if you buy a pair of them. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's obviously it riles a few people up. Um, and I know we we chatted briefly about this yesterday, and I've probably mentioned this on other episodes as well. I was kind of in two minds when they first announced this, and I, you know, I'm lucky enough to be in a position whereby I probably knew about this, you know, before you know 99% of people out there. Um, I know me and myself and you know David, we saw early kind of prototype images and publicity images, you know, six months before anyone around the world saw any of them and even knew they were coming, you know. So we, we've had a long time to sort of look at that and think about them and sort of understand or try to understand why they're doing it. And, you know, David even even longer so um, for various mm -hmm. reasons, yeah, his own personal involvement there. Yeah. And, and I've kind of come around to it a little bit. And again, especially after speaking to, uh, to Jimmy um, a few months back about this and, you know, obviously his involvement in this. And we've, you know... As we kind of mentioned to each other yesterday, um, you know, mainly us older, older heads, 
um, us kind of people that collected season zero, season one, two, three, etc. You know, a lot of us complain about, or I say us, I, I hopefully I don't tend to, but I know a lot of people do, um, complain about, you know, the quality of BBC nowadays. And, you know, it's not like it used to be. And, you know, I only buy the stuff from season one to six when it was made in Japan and, and all this kind of stuff. Which I get, I understand. But then at the same time, when they try and utilise some of those classic designs and silhouettes and products that they had and try and you know, reinterpret them to also appeal to a, a more modern, younger market as well. Um, and also deal with you know the internal politics that they, also, that they obviously have at Adidas and Reebok. Um, and there is a lot of internal politics, even just between those two companies. Um, yeah, again, people still complain. They don't like it. They don't. They don't like that they're redoing this stuff, even though they've just been saying they wish the new stuff could be like the old stuff. So, it, they're almost in a kind of lose-lose situation when it comes to a lot of stuff they do and a lot of consumers of a, a certain age and background and, and all that kind of thing. And I think, yeah as kind of Jimmy said to me a few months ago, you know, they, they've done, I think the best they could have done based on that original kind of DNA of ice cream, the original designs and prints and the box, the accessories, the colorways, all this kind of thing. And, you know, we're, we're never going to get an ice cream shoe that looks like the original ice cream from what, 16 years ago now, mm-hmm. just because they were prohibited, prohibitively, expensive to manufacture and they would be now as well you know times have changed fashions and trends have changed how much we like them and we like all those things from back then not everyone else does and also like i say just that kind of internal um politicking between um between reebok and ice cream and you know the guys at bbc and you know, issues over licensing and branding and all these kinds of things that have to be taken into account. Obviously, you know, Reebok helped make the first ice creams, but it was done, you know, the contract was that they were not overtly Reebok shoes. Um, I think it said Reebok inside the tongue in the kind of, you know, uh, the small text in there. And also on the box somewhere, I believe there was a Reebok logo or at least the stickers which had the sizes on, had the Reebok logo on them. But other than that, they weren't, you know, Reebok were like, no, we're going to help you manufacture them. I assume, you know, BBC was paying for the majority of the manufacture and design and concepting and R&D. But I think at this point, you know, BBC need Reebok more than the other way around. And to produce these at scale in a cost-effective way, they need Reebok's production. They need Adidas to lean on them a little bit, I think, um, to actually kind of get them involved and get them doing this. Um, and yeah, and, you know, obviously if Reebok are going to do this and they're going to stump up some of the, the production side of things, they're going to stump up some of the licenses for some of the patterns and designs, then, you know, of course they're going to want some of their branding on it and they're going to want those kind of Reebok logos on the outside and inside of the shoe. But like I say, you know, it's it's done reasonably um, overtly. You don't necessarily notice it too much. I'm just looking at the box now. I don't 
think there's anything on the outside that says Reebok at all on the box. There is, oh, on the underside of the box, there is a BBC logo, an ice cream logo, and a Reebok logo. And then on the side of the box where you have the, the sizing sticker, um, in tiny, tiny writing, you would not even notice it says Reebok. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I don't know what's been paid to make these. I don't know what's been paid for the licensing or whatever, but I think BBC have got a fairly good deal there in terms of, you know, Reebok's involvement and how much kind of Reebok branding is on there. Um, so, yeah, like I say, you know, they're in a they're in a kind of lose-lose position, I think, to a certain extent with, with a lot of people. Um, but I think all in all, it's a good shoe. And if you are on the fence about it, or if you're, you know, near the fence somewhere, and you know, you've got 120 euros, you need a new pair of sneakers. Um, I would, I would recommend you go and order a pair and actually have them in your hand uh, and see what you think of them. But just bear in mind, these are not the original ice creams. Mm. They will never be the original ice creams. We will probably never see the original ice creams in that kind of form ever again. So. Um, yeah, I would say buy them, but obviously deal with the fact that um, you're not going to be re- reliving your your childhood uh, when you get them necessarily. I absolutely agree with you 100%. I mean, but to that, I'd like to add that, um, you know, um, I get that Adidas, you know, bought uh, Reebok back in 2005. Um, and the original boutique... Uh, BBC ice cream shoe uh, was, I mean, it's it's clear it it was stolen. The design was stolen from the Stan Smith uh, silhouette, right? Like the this where the stitching is uh, to a certain degree, right? Obviously, the boutiques are uh, way more higher end, but again, the the design of it is it's it's a Stan Smith. Yeah, let's yeah, let's say allegedly stolen. Right, right. And let's sorry, say sorry um, let let's say let's say highly influenced by allegedly, Stan allegedly. Smith. <laughs> but but I take your point. Yes. Uh, but, but 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 my whole thing is is that I really enjoyed the uh, the Stan Smith pony hair D and D design that they came out with uh, three or four years ago, and the same with the the palm tree ones. And and again to that to that point, um, the the pony hair. Uh, they had kind of that uh, icy finish at the bottom where the the white uh, pony hairs had the red see-through bottoms and the black ones had kind of like a bluish see-through bottoms. Yeah. Obviously no design underneath like the boutiques, but close enough, right? Like there was, there was mm-hmm. a lot of th- uh, uh, things there that made you feel like, hey, the, this is re- very reminiscent. And to me, like when I saw them come out, I was – trying fighting tooth and nail with everybody on where can I get them and I, I needed a pair of each one that they they had released um, and I was very happy I mean it, it was the like you said we'll we'll probably never get what we originally got ever again we'll never see that again but to kind of get somewhere near it that those releases to me was as close as it was gonna get and I was super happy with it I was extremely happy with 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 everything that they did with those those four, um, and I have all four. And um, again, it, it, when these were coming out, 
that's kind of what I was uh, hoping for, um, that Adidas would allow Reebok to have that silhouette design and, and, and bring it back maybe in some new colorways or, or, or different ideas, and um, they didn't. And then when we saw what we saw, I was very, very disappointed, very disappointed. But again, you, it, very valid point, good price point. You could use those as your everyday beaters instead of trying to flex these uh, very rare grailed uh, retro OG uh, boutiques or board flip ones or twos and keep those nice and fresh and icy in the box and the cooler, as uh, the king of cream says. And, um, you know, like... That, that's that's kind of something that I'm thinking about doing is buying those just so I could wear them on a daily, like you said, Stephen. Uh, but again, it's just a shame. It's a shame they they have the opportunity with the Stan Smith in Adidas. Like, why isn't that's like my question? Why isn't Adidas uh, stepping up to that play? Why is it? Why is BBC Ice Cream, whoever is over over there making these decisions? Why are they trying to go back over to Reebok? Well. What what did Because Reebok own the Reebok own the licenses still. Oh, and this is this is why we haven't seen um and this is just my understand my very limited understanding from what I know from certain people. Um this is why we never saw ice creams again, because of the the deal broke up with, with Reebok, um who were obviously about who were due to make all of the ice cream um apparel and clothing um which was going to be more of a kind of you know leisure wear whereas bbc was high end um the deal kind of fell through it didn't end very well it ended very poorly in fact the relationship there um but from my understanding was when that agreement broke up for whatever reason it broke up and whoever broke it um it meant that reebok owned the licenses to a lot of the the prints and the designs Um, as well as, you know, the sort of silhouette in the mouldings of the shoe um, as well, which is why we're not seeing them in the original form, because I think Reebok owned the mouldings, and I think those mouldings were then destroyed, from what I've been yeah. told. Um, on purpose or not, I, I, I don't know, and I wouldn't, wouldn't like to speculate. Probably just the fact that, well, here's a moulding from five, ten years ago. We've never used it. It can go, basically. Um which is why, again, why it would be so expensive to now remake those um, those soles of the oh. shoes with the because you know that's probably what three, four different parts that have to be made, printed, put together. Um, very, very expensive to do. Um, but I think yeah, the the issue lies with Reebok, and you know I I, I know that um, people have been speaking to Reebok for quite some time to ask them to get additional access to certain prints and designs and, and things like that. Uh, Reebok have said no for a long time just because, you know, the the relationship was on such sort of bad terms, I think. But now that Adidas own Reebok, um, and because obviously Pharrell has one of the biggest Adidas deals around, that has allowed them to put additional leverage, let's say, on Reebok. And that is why we have this shoe now, which... Um, which is a compromise, I think, in terms of using you know, original designs, um, but also incorporating um, you know, Reebok branding in kind of a few of these places. So I think this is a shoe that Reebok 
probably didn't want to make or haven't wanted to make up until very recently. Um, and I think it's only been made, that's just me speculating, um, it's only been made because of pressure from their parent company. You know, we, ha- we have to remember Reebok, you know, Adidas own Reebok, but Reebok is still an independent company in itself. Mm. It, it doesn't have to give licenses or designs or anything to Adidas if they don't That's want to. That's what something I was going to ask you. I was going to ask. They, they, don't, they don't have to do what Adidas tells If Adidas say manufactured this, this shoe or this hoodie or whatever it might be, Reebok don't have to go and do that. Um, you know, they are still an independent company. Um, so I think this is, a, this is some leverage from Adidas. This is some compromise from Reebok. Um, and it's kind of come together, you know, as I've said a couple of times, to kind of form the best shoe that they could make under the circumstances. Well, that being said, I hope that all these shoes sell out then. And I hope that with all the shoes selling out, maybe the relationship between Adidas and Reebok on this particular, you know, these designs, you know, it's, it starts to loosen up that, that grip of, of sour business from the past and maybe looking forward on making, you know, something even all of us could agree on and, and all of us could love once more, right? Well, whether... You, yeah, you could... I, I would love to see like a... Yeah, to me, this is like an ice cream 2.0. Mm. I would I would love for all of these to sell out and for Reebok to go look at it and go, oh shit, we've, we've sold out. These are actually popular. People are interested. Okay, let's do another run. Let's do... Let's do... Let's tweak the design slightly. Let's do an ice cream... 3.0 let's invest a little bit more money you know we've got the basic molds already so now let's invest a bit of additional money in the molding for the sole perhaps or let's adjust the Reebok branding that's on them slightly um and yeah hopefully we see another iteration with another you know release of the original prints so you know the next one would be uh the mini dollars and diamonds if I remember correctly mm. um then we'd go on to Money rolls, then beepers, I think in that order. So yeah, I, I would love to see each of those come out and maybe a slight iteration with each each one. And I wouldn't care if that was, you know, 18 months away or yeah, a year away. I'd like them to sell well, which is why, you know, I highly recommend people go out there and buy a pair if you're on, on the fence still. Show that there's interest, you know, and get people at Reebok realizing that, Okay, these are popular. Um, yeah, let's 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 keep trying to improve them. Let's take the money um, from the original ones. Let's reinvest it. Let's tweak them. Let's get the next line out. Then you know, then we've got a year or eighteen months to develop the four which is going to be the next print. Then the five which will be another print, and that's the way I hope it goes. Whether it goes that way, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't see these at the moment flying out of the doors of retailers yeah they've been out for a while now and you can still get them at most retailers um so they're they're certainly not flying out the door but (laughs) hopefully there's enough being sold that you know they will realize there is some interest and 
we will perhaps see another iteration or another kind of design release at some point in the future. I mean, this this is the first time in what almost five years, maybe four years, that we've seen the the classic uh, designs, right? I mean, of course, we have like the NMDs that have uh, come in between this gap, right? Uh, where it's the mind and heart shoe, BBC, like the human race ones, and um, the Hue version two with the blue, red, and white uh, colorway. And but it's not it's not the classic, uh, you know, di- diamond and dollar or anything like that with the uh, ice cream crossbone. Um, you know, five years ago was the Adidas Stan Smiths that I was just talking about, and then now we have these from Reebok. So hopefully there's there's not this you know huge gap going forward, but regardless, I, I am in agreement that you know hopefully you know we we could we could make the wait of eighteen months or whatever it is for what could be possibly a better design like a part three or part two like you were saying, and continue to evolve until you know we're all happy we're all happy with uh, the result. Yeah, and it, another kind of scenario, which which I know definitely won't happen, um, but you know, another kind of potential scenario could be that Adidas buy purchase the IP from Reebok and own it and develop it themselves. But the issue you've got there is um, is, is Pharrell essentially. You know, he doesn't like looking back on the past. He doesn't like revisiting things. Ah. Um, so I don't think he would have any direct involvement in it. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know him. I can't speak for him. I don't think he would necessarily object to it if it was going to help the BBC brand in some kind of way. Um, but I certainly don't see him pushing for that idea or anything. But it, you know, it, it's an option that Adidas could do if they if they saw that there was some potential in it. If they saw there was a way to kind of make a profit from it in some kind of way, which you know, which their man Reebok and BBC have to get from this you know they are businesses they have to make money off of these you know there's normally quite a lot of margin in sneakers um you know i know exactly how much it costs to produce a pair of um adidas nmds and i know exactly how much they sell for there's a there's a big margin there with these i don't think there is a big margin um but i think if adidas see a way of increasing that margin making a bit of money um, helping with their own brand and the work they do with Pharrell, as well as you know, helping BBC, who they also do collaborations with occasionally, and Human Made as well, which is also very tied in there. Um, that that could be a way forward, I guess. No, actually, I, if anything, I I'm starting to think of ways that we could possibly try to push that to to happen sooner rather than later. Like if there's a way we could make a petition. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, I, let's uh, let's cr- let's crowdfund it. I'd, I'd be the first one to sign. You know, where, where... I'll, I'll set up a GoFundMe page or whatever they're called <laughs> yeah. these days. And if we if we all chip in a few few dollars, few euros here and there, maybe we can uh we can approach Reebok and try and purchase the IP from them. And you know, the, you know, the comment that you just made about Pharrell, like you know, it, it's not just him, but I have this issue of you know, and I get it, I get it, you know. We're, as artists, right? We're all artists in our own way. Sometimes we don't like to redo things we already done uh, or continue to do the things that we already done. Uh, we always try to challenge ourselves and, and try new things and explore new themes and worlds and ideas. So I get that. But, beca- I mean, again, 
having such a loyal fan base, right? Like, how how do you how do you just kind of let us go, say goodbye to people who have, you know, put love and money, <laughs> a lot of money, a lot of love. I think this is the, the compromise as well. You know, I think, you know, Pharrell got rid of most of his, if not all of his shares in, in BBC, you know, many, many years back. And he saw that it wasn't going in a good direction or in a good place. So, you know, he worked with, um, you know, he, his kind of investment partners out in Miami to to repurchase a lot of those shares back from Iconics and, and other places because he, you know, he didn't want to just let that kind of brand crash and burn and, you know, die a horrible death. And again, I think that's the, the kind of compromise because he doesn't like looking back. He doesn't like redoing stuff. But at the same time, you know, he is aware that, you know, BBC is so tied into his own personal brand and his own history that, you know, he got involved again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that compromise. It's, you know, he, he still shows up to the occasional BBC thing, whether it's, you know, a collaboration event or it's a pop-up store opening or whether it's, you know, Paris Fashion Week and he stops by the BBC EU office. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll st- still sort of show up and sometimes represent the brand. Um, but yeah, he, you know, his focus is, you know, he's 50-50 in on human made. That's where I think his his focus is, his kind of priority is, along with his other kind of projects. And, and yeah, I think he, w- he would say, you know, sorry, I can't help with, you know, BBC. You know, I, I've done what I can do to, to help. I've helped, you know, you know, kind of resurrect them to a certain extent and bring them back and get them a new location and um, let them kind of run individually and kind of carry on designing and putting stuff out. But, you know, that's sort of as far as I think he's sort of willing to go with it. No, yeah, I, I, I could totally see that. And you know what? I, it it, it kind of comes to, to me as an idea of like, you know, sometimes these big brands, they drop the ball, but they also, you know, are very keen on listening to, uh, the the fans and the buyers, right? A lot of the time, they, they listen to that feedback. And and the example that I'd like to use is uh, like, uh, well, just Nike in general, right? So the Nike SB Dunks, right? The skateboarding Dunks, obviously in the early two thousands, you know, blew up the sneaker uh, the sneakerhead culture with with these wild, wild concepts and designs. But also Jordan brand, right? Like sometimes they really do drop the ball. And when the fans uh, or the buyers or collectors, when they when they say something, uh, most of the time I don't want to say all the time, but most of the time they they're listening and and they they try their best to correct it. Now again, you know they they are a business and it's it is about making money. So maybe you know there are some ingenuine um, <clears throat> attempts where they're just trying to make the quick flip and make that money uh, on a on a, maybe a overly dropped pair of shoes with just a different colorway or, 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 or material or what have you. But I mean, I just wish that was the case for BBC that they would listen to us, um, wherever it is, whether it be in the, in the EU, uh, Japan or American markets. Um, like I, I just wish they would kind of just listen a little bit more, uh, to, to what people are saying and try to find that, that balance in that medium. But you know what? I, I, I do see something else here that I know that you want to talk about, which is Brent Pashuski. 
I'm sorry. I, 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 I apologize if I if I butchered the hell out of his last name. And Apogee. Um, if you wanted to. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just had a couple of uh, yeah sort of uh, bits of news to mention. So so Brent has teamed up with um, Apogee, who make um, kind of instruments and guitar accessories and you know, pedals and effects type things. Um, and he's doing. Uh, I think they're weekly YouTube live streams um, all about, you know, songwriting, production, creation. Um, obviously, because it's Brent, it's um, guitar-focused, but it does incorporate a lot of other stuff. And what he's doing in each um, each show each week is he's progressing this track that he's making, and he's showing how you can use different tools with GarageBand and an iPad and um, Apogee hardware to kind of, you know, make uh, a track, essentially, to, you know, write it, compose it, record it, uh, edit it, all that stuff, you know, almost end-to-end. Um, and I'm not a guitar player. I can't play any instrument. I'm not musically talented. Um, and some would say not, just generally not talented in any way whatsoever. Um, I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> thank you thank you i, pre- I appreciate that um but i, I stayed up until it's 4 p.m east, uh, west coast time i did put east coast in my notes i will change that so that i don't put it in the show notes incorrectly i believe it's um yeah 4 p.m west coast time so for me it's like 2 a.m or something stupid but i stayed up and watched it live um last week uh and it was really interesting really informative really crazy to see what you can do just sat there with GarageBand and an iPad um, and, you know, some effects pedals and whatever it is he's using. Um, so there's another one coming this week. It's, at, yeah, so 4 p.m. West Coast time, I believe, on the 9th of April, which is on the Thursday, I think. Yes, Thursday. Uh, it's on the Apogee YouTube channel. Um, I'll try and remember to put a link in the show notes, but... Otherwise, go to YouTube, type in Apogee. I think they might be listed as Apogee Digital or something on there. Mm. That's their kind of full full brand name. But definitely check it out. You can watch his last two episodes on there as well. Um, Obviously, I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast, you know, know Brent, love Brent for his, you know, all of the work he does with Pharrell and NERD and everything. Um, So to actually get like, you know, a, a masterclass essentially from him, on how to easily record and produce a, a track is, um, I know will be of interest to a lot of people. So definitely go and check that out. Um, I also had one other thing to mention, which I didn't have in the show notes originally. A uh, friend of the podcast, Chris Jordan, uh, he has just released a new album with um, his musical partner, Swifty Jones. Uh, the album is called The Toronto Sessions. Uh, a 13-track album, only 26 minutes long, um, so only a couple of minutes per track. Really nice to dip into and, and just pick up here and there. I've had a quick quick flick through of it. Um, some really nice beats on there, some really good bars. Uh, so, yeah, he's a friend of the podcast. Most people will probably know him um, if they kind of follow us. Obviously, he's at Bush and uh, Paningo on Instagram. So check him out. And yeah, go on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, um, SoundCloud, I think it might be on as well. Just, you know, all the usual places. Go and check it out. 
give it a listen, give him some feedback, send him some love. Uh, as I say, the album is called The Toronto Sessions. And again, I'll put the information in the show notes so you can go and look it up and maybe click the links if I remember to include any of the links themselves. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I wanted to say something uh, really quickly before we move on um, about Apogee and, 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 and being able to use their products and, and uh, interfaces and... and uh, and uh, items um, in any um, uh, program, right? Like you said, GarageBand. And uh, actually, a fellow uh, Pharrell fanatic, Tyler the Creator, his first mixtape, right, Bastard, uh, was uh, produced on Fruit Loops on FL Studio, but also recorded in GarageBand, right? Oh, really? Okay, yeah. So, I mean... You know, there's a lot of a lot of people out there that I know that are always saying, "Oh, but I need a real studio." And well, actually, you don't. You don't. You could use what you have, and mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of people out there that did it that way and were able to 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 come up. So, I mean, I'm happy that they're that that Brent and Apogee are are doing this and 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 giving people the opportunity with with many different platforms and 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 software and um, or hardware as well to to get people to produce music or, or just be creative overall i think that's really great yeah and it's as you said it's kind of crazy what you can do with even you know what some people kind of think of as the basic you know garage bands you know you buy an ipad an iphone a macbook an imac whatever you get garage band in there for free basically absolutely it's a free tool but yeah i know, I know people that are professional producers musicians they use garage band um, up until about a year ago, you know, I used GarageBand. I recorded direct into GarageBand, did all the editing in there for the podcast. Um, you can do all that sort of stuff in there. Obviously, I moved up to Logic Pro, as a lot of people do. You know, um, if you want to do something a bit more professionally, GarageBand is a great. I was going to say entry level. It's not entry level because it does have a lot of pro features in there, um, but it's a good starting point basically. Um, you know, I moved to Logic Pro just because it had a couple of certain features, you know, pro features that GarageBand didn't have that I kind of needed to make my workflow a little bit easier um, and to do certain things for me automatically. But um, yeah, I always, whenever I speak to anyone about podcasting or recording anything, I always recommend that, you know, first step, just use GarageBand, get used to all the kind of functions and features in there because you will see those functions and features replicated in the more pro versions of applications like logic pro and stuff like that no yeah and, and so like i said you know, it, it's great it's great to do and like you know as i say you can you can plug this you could do it on an iphone if you need to yeah it's a little bit fiddly but you can do it you can do it on an like brent is sat there just plugged direct into an ipad and after two episodes he had essentially a whole song tracked on there and that kind of blows my mind that he can have a professional sounding song after just two hours of just putting it into um, into GarageBand and just tweaking it on the go here and there. And, you know, he obviously knows what he's doing, but, you know, if you jump in there, you play around with it, you, you look up how you do certain things and how you get it to sound like you want it to sound... It's doable. If someone, if someone as stupid as me can, you know, get GarageBand to work and Logic Pro to, to work to a certain extent and stick out an okay-sounding podcast, um, you know, anybody out there can do it, essentially. 
I mean, and, and, and you know what? I'll say this. Uh, you know, if, if you saw an amazing, uh, you know, indie film, if you heard an amazing song, if you listened to an amazing podcast like this one, um, would it really matter or would you be super concerned if you ended up finding out that uh, these things were recorded, like the movie was recorded on an iPhone or uh, if the song was recorded on GarageBand or if the podcast was recorded on a regular, you know, digital recorder or whatever. I mean, does at that point, I think it doesn't matter, right? Like it, 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 you got what you wanted out of it and people enjoyed it and the result is there, right? Like I think, I think for all you listeners out there who, who are thinking about doing podcasts or thinking about being directors, whether it be film or, or music related, or if you want to do music, go out there, check out this uh, Brent and Apogee uh, sessions and, uh, you know, do, do whatever it is that you want to do with what you have. Don't let it hold you back. Overcome that adversity. See that challenge and overcome it with what you have. You know, David Dobrik, uh, I, I, whether you know him or not, is a very famous uh, influencer on YouTube. He started filming on an iPhone 5, which was one of the crappiest uh, cameras out there. And look at him now. The guy is one of the most richest YouTubers out. I just wanted to... Just put that out there uh, because I, I I thought it was really neat that you shared that he uh, was doing some of this on GarageBand, and I wanted to share that. I wanted to make sure that your listeners knew, don't let these things hold you back. Just go out there and make it happen. Yeah, definitely. And you know, now now is the time to to do that as well. If you've been considering it, you know, I, I see all these posts like you know, while well, you've got all this free time, you know, learn something new, do a side hustle, all this sort of shit. No. Don't necessarily do that. Do what makes you happy and what keeps your mental health and physical health at its best and that sort of thing. But if you've got the time and the energy and the inclination to want to improve yourself in some way or try to do something new um, and you've been toying with the idea of recording something and you've got a Mac of some kind, just go and download it. Download it. Um... You don't need any really fancy gear in terms of microphones and stuff like that. In all honesty, to get started, just start chucking stuff in it. Download, you know, there's so many sounds built into it already. If you want to produce music, for example, so many loops and effects and all that sort of thing. You can easily start banging stuff out just with the basics of what's there. And then, you know, if you've got a bit of spare cash... You can maybe invest in some additional effects and, and things like that that you might want to use, uh, some additional kind of plugins and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, with the basics there, just try it at least. Even if you get in there and you realize it's it's too confusing, it's too much, you don't have the time or, or whatever it might be, that's fine. But yeah, just go go give it a go. You never know what could happen from it. Absolutely. Maybe, you know what? You never know, Stephen. Maybe one of these days, one of these listeners that heard this episode may have a, a successful podcast and you'll be uh, a guest on their, on their, on their show. <laughs> Let's hope so, yes. But also, just, just to that point very quickly as well, um, yeah, you mentioned Tyler and how he kind of started out. Um, somebody who I'm, ho- I'm hoping to kind of get on the podcast at some point soon, um, who is an OG Neptunes fan. He was on the Star Trek forum back in the day. Um, 
you know, almost super producer level now, uh, Nana Rogues, based out in London, who's, you know, produced some massive hits for Drake and people like that recently. You know, back in the day when we were all on the Star Trek forum, if I remember correctly, he was also using, like, Fruity Loops and, you know, cracked plugins and all that kind of stuff just to make these weird, wonderful beats. Because of that Star Trek forum connection, making beats... I think he got a beat to Family. Family rapped on one of his beats. It, you know, it meant he ended up in the US in studio sessions with Family. I think he also was in the studio with Pharrell at some point. Um, you know, he's had Drake personally. Some of my favourite Drake tracks um, produced by him. Uh, he's doing huge things in the UK. Or, you know, in the kind of um, uh, the hip-hop scene over there and R&B and Ragaton and everything else in the UK at the moment and grime and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, he started out that kind of way as well. Um, and he's now doing huge things. So, Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Just get out there and do it, people. All right. Is there anything else from yourself, anything else you wanted to to go through and have a chat about? I mean, I, I know that you got the rest of your day to look forward to, so I don't want to keep you for too long. But there are a couple things here. Um, I, I have a long list of topics and questions, but I, I think if I just narrowed it down to some some of the ones that I think that I really want to ask, um, uh, that would be fantastic. Fantastic if 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 that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. All right. So um, <clears throat> I guess my first one is you know being that um, BBC Ice Cream is is a brand that we love and we champion and we're very loyal to. Besides that brand, are there any other brands that you've seen, uh, whether they be new or old, that you're starting to gravitate to or that you've liked uh, throughout the, the last couple of years? Uh, like, for example, for me, I, I really like the human made stuff and neighborhood and uh, I'm buying a lot of like Cole Haan shoes and, and, you know, the classics like Ralph Lauren. Uh, I'm starting to buy more of as I, 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 I'm getting older, right? As, as the gray hairs come in, I'm starting to get a little bit more conservative kind of clothes. But but again, uh, neighborhood, uh, human made, um, CG, uh, CDG, uh, you know, Comas de Garçon, um, that's kind of like what I'm starting to purchase now and starting to collect and really become involved in. What, what, what are some of those brands for you or if, if any? Yeah, I don't diverge away from, you know, what most people kind of see on Instagram and stuff like that. Most of the things I buy tend to be um, BBC ice cream. Um, the shoes and sneakers tend to be Pharrell-related in some way. Um, one, because I'm a Pharrell fan, but also, you know, the NMDs, the the solar hues, the tennis hues, they are ridiculously comfortable and they're actually nice shoes. Um, but, like, in my day-to-day -day life, you know, when I'm at work or wherever it may be, I'm, I live in Air Max 90s, day to day, I'm a big Air Max 90 fan, um, and like yourself, uh, I have a, a wardrobe full of Ralph Lauren polo shirts and jumpers and, and stuff like that, which I'll, you know, wear if I'm in an office or something, um, so yeah, it's outside of the BBC realm of things, um, fairly simple, fairly conservative, mm um yeah if i've got to be in in work or whatever it may be but yeah away from there i i tend to just focus on bbc stuff there are you know plenty of brands out there that um 
I could get into. Um, like, I, I don't actually own any human-made stuff, I don't think. Um, but I, I think I'll probably start purchasing a few more bits and pieces from there going forward. But yeah, it's, it's, for me, it is mainly the BBC ice cream stuff and, and not necessarily so much of the newer stuff, but trying to find and acquire um, the older stuff that's still in good condition, same. that's still my size, same, all same, that kind same, of thing. Same, same, same. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, speaking of uh, other brands and Pharrell, um, you know, there have been um, a lot of these... Uh, uh, very rare, unique, but also very expensive items um, uh, that I've kind of wish I was able to purchase one because I don't have the money to purchase it. And two, <laughs> it's also very loud, right? It's it, it's very creative coming from Pharrell. But uh, again, I don't think I could pull it off. So what I'm talking about is the collaboration between uh, Chanel and Pharrell, like the sneakers, the glasses. Um, I, I, I personally wish... I could pull it off. And number two, I wish I could uh, afford it. <laughs> what are your thoughts on some of these um, other collaborations that you've seen Pharrell do um, throughout the years? I, I generally think they're, they're great. They're not necessarily for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm the same as you. you know, the Chanel stuff, it's not necessarily something I could pull off. It's also, yeah, probably out of my price range. Um, I know people that own some of the Pharrell Chanel stuff. Shout out a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Solution. I know he's got uh, a few bits. Um, but, you know, when I spoke to him when the, the Chanel stuff dropped, he went to the, you know, he lives in Paris. He went to the Chanel store the day it dropped. Mm. And it was still sold out, like, almost immediately. I think when he got there, they had a couple of tops left some of the accessories, the sunglasses and whatnot. So that stuff, it still has its own hype around it, but that hype is in uh, a completely different world into which I live. Yeah. That hype is for people that, you know, drive cars that, you know, cost the same as what my apartment is. And, <laughs> you know, live a, live a very, very different life. Um, and yeah, well, I can, I can look at them and I can appreciate them for their design qualities and aesthetics and uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, and the fact that you know Pharrell's doing it, and it's a it's another kind of creative outlet for him. Yeah, it's it's not for me, and yeah, you you probably won't see me in a Chanel store on a launch day. If I had the money, this may be a different story. But um, yeah, as I say, that's that's not the world in which I live. But I think I think it's great that he does these kind of collaborations completely across the spectrum. You know, ranging from a ninety euro. Uh, Adidas tennis shoe shoe up to a multi-thousand euro (laughs) jumper or jacket or dress or whatever it may be with the likes of Chanel Um, I think that's I think that's great Um, and it's also yeah again it um, it shows what a, a wide range of influences and skills and creative outlets you know he has um, and again, you know, we see that in the music. You know, he can do, he can do a '90s R&B track. He can do a rock and roll track. He can do a, a hip hop track. He can do a grime track. He can, you know, he can do pretty much anything he sets his mind to, essentially. Um, and it's kind of great to to see him utilizing those talents and those ideas to put stuff out to the world, um, even if it isn't necessarily for me or for the likes of me. Uh, it's still great to see it. Absolutely, absolutely, and. You know, um, that brings me to 
my next question, um, you know, do you think that, well, we had this conversation in, in, in pre-production a little bit when we spoke prior to uh, the podcast and um, uh, we talked about um, the differences between quality in the U.S. market, the EU market and the, J- the Japan market, um, all the designs that they have and the quality, et cetera, et cetera. And you and I both agree that, you know, obviously America's BBC designs are lacking uh, a lot of the quality and, and details and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, so my whole thing is, or my question would be, is um, what have you liked? I know, I know that we both agree that we both like the golden, the golden seasons, right? Like the golden era. But what have you liked outside of that that you've seen uh, these entities uh, push out? Right. Like for me, mm-hmm. I really enjoy when like strictly speaking on BBC EU, um, some of their really weird and limited accessories, uh, for example, uh, BBC's um, recording label, the EU Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently got a buddy of mine in, in, in England to send me the um the Alan Kingdom uh, record. Yeah, it is obviously with all the iconic colorways and designs and and of BBC. I, I wanted to pick that up because it was such a, a unique item, something that obviously the American market is not doing. But to that point, what have you seen in in that kind of similar light uh, that you've liked? There's a lot of stuff to be perfectly honest. And I think I've mentioned this on on previous episodes as well, the the way in which BBC is set up with these almost three completely separate design studios, the US, the EU, and Japan, which is now kind of broadening out into more of Asia as well. But we'll we'll call it Japan for the sake of of it. Um, You know, back in the day, the US kind of controlled everything. Um, You know, the stuff that Japan got and that London got was stuff that was just sent over from the US, they just got it a week later, basically. Then they started to branch out, do some of their own local collaborations, their own local bits of work. Um, While at times it can be slightly frustrating because there are certain bits in other places that I want. Uh And, you know, I can get them if I want them, let's say, but it doesn't always come cheap. Very true. You know, I, I think it's I think it's great that they're all out there doing completely separate things, using their own local cultural backgrounds and influences to design stuff. Because if you look at the US, the EU, the Japan stuff, you if you put their product lines side by side, they are all completely different. They all have completely different points of reference. They're all sourcing manufactured uh, fairly differently. Um, obviously, the people working there are all different, all from different backgrounds, nationalities, etc. So it really lends to having very different and eclectic uh, lines, which I really, really like. In terms of specific pieces, um, there's 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 not a specific piece I can really think of, but there's always something I find from pretty much every season that I that I like. Um, with the US, it's it's always hard to say because so many designs are pumped out. Oh. Uh, because obviously they have these 
agreements and licensing deals with other um, retailers that they have to provide clothing for. So they they put out tons of stuff that you know I, I don't even realize they've put out because I I don't see them in you know U.S. boutiques or um, department stores because I'm not there. So that can sometimes kind of throw me a little bit. But then, if I'm honest, they're not always of the best quality and design. Um, again, because I think they're producing them more for the mass market because they've got these deals in place that they, I think, contractually have to you know, adhere to. But the st- a lot of the stuff the US does, it's you know, exclusive, it's done in-store only. There's some really good stuff. I like it, more of the accessories they've been doing recently. You know, they're doing more kind of art pieces, oh. you know, with the different astronaut versions ah. and... And things like that. Um, yeah, you know, I've ranted about the the release of those on the previous episodes. I don't think they've done that particularly well. But in terms of you know the actual design of these things and how they come about, I think they're great. You look at the EU at the moment. You know, we're about to see an ice cream relaunch. Um, we're likely going to see uh, kind of homeware cushions, pillows. I've seen. Yeah, we we saw them. They did the couch, the sofa a couple of years ago to you know custom order. Um, I think, well, from what I saw on Instagram earlier, we may be seeing more kind of custom furniture stuff from them as well. I think that's a really great, really interesting way to go. You know, furniture is as much a piece of art as a sculpture is now to a certain extent and at a certain price point and in a certain setting and environment. And again, you know, all the kind of weird and wonderful little accessories that BBC EU do. Um, I'm a sucker for accessories. You know, I've got like loads of BBC wallets and all the keychains and little, you know, magazines they produce and, and stuff like that. I know. I think I know of one that you and I could both agree on that we want and we would buy if if given the opportunity at a good price point would be the uh, BBC yeah. uh, couch that you have on your Instagram page. Yes. I, man... When I saw that floating around, as soon as I was, dry, I was like, "Man, I want that thing." No, I've got, I've got to say, like, I know, I know the boys there. Um, I know Joe doesn't work there anymore, but Joe was part of designing that along with with Ross and other people. And um, I did reach out and ask how much it would cost me, <laughs> uh, and they they gave me a price. And at the time, I just moved into this apartment and was debating a new sofa. And I did have the conversation with my my then girlfriend, who I was living with at the time, and I did seriously consider it for a minute, but then the that price point was yeah very hard to justify when you know I've got a young kid as well who's you know jumping around on sofas and you know I look at the state of my current sofa it needs to be changed. But you just look at the random things that get dropped on it and spilt on it and kids climbing on it. And I was just like, uh, I don't know. I think my blood pressure would go through the roof if I <laughs> if I owned one of those BBC couches. Because I'd constantly be on edge about somebody dropping you know, a glass of wine on it or, a, or some bloody spaghetti or pasta sauce on it or something. So, For sure. Yeah, I, I, I'd love one of those. But... Um, yeah, well, now that I'm a single man again, yeah, who who knows what might happen in the future? We'll see. But I was going to say one piece I do, or a couple of pieces I do really like, the recent um, re-release of the Swarovski T-shirts and hoodies that the, the BBC EU have done. And again, they're EU exclusives. And they are obscenely priced, obscenely priced. Um, 
but they are lovely and they are really nice. Um, and back in the day, I was very close to owning uh, some of the original Swarovski pieces. I had the opportunity to buy, um, I think, the Cone Man t-shirt at one point and also the uh, the Arch logo t-shirt. And f for whatever reason, I didn't. Um, I wish I had now. Um, I massively regret not getting those when I could have got them. But yeah, again, yeah, if, if money was no object, I think those um, those recent Swarovski pieces would, you know, would be a nice addition to my collection, let's say. For sure. You know what? One that, that definitely pops out to me um, is the chains that they came out by Ghost in Japan. Do you mm -hmm. remember those? Yep. Um, the attention to detail of how these chains come in and the iconic ice cream box, um, just like the whole package. Like The reason why I brought up that right? That question was, I, I feel that these really weird one-off limited items like the statues, which I agree, I think they're fantastic, the Spacemans and their collaboration with uh, Medicom and uh, Bear Brick. Mm -hmm. Like these, these little things, they, I feel like it keeps that spirit, the heart of why we fell in love with, with the brand in the first place alive, right? Like, these yeah. very small details, they really go a long way. It just separates themselves uh, from any other brand. And um, that's why I wanted to ask you that question. And, and, and for me, one of those big, besides the, the couch, is the, the chain that they came out with uh, in collaboration with that uh, Japanese artist, Ghost. I, I yeah, and if I remember rightly, they weren't overly expensive either. I did have a look at the price of them at some point, um, and I think they were like 120 euros each or something, if I remember rightly. Um, so they weren't overly pricey. And again, that's something I'd potentially get. I have to say, though, I do already have um, a Cones and Bones um, pendant and necklace. Um, shout out uh, Doughboy Meets World that, uh, that sent me that. Um, with all the kind of, you know, different colored crystals in it, making it up and stuff, but I never wear it. I can't, you know, I'm of an age now where I can't really pull that kind of thing off. I don't think so again, while, while I'd love those other ones, the other chains and pendants, um, I'm not sure I'd ever wear, I'd actually ever wear them. They'd just be, you know, hung up in my, you know, I have my own freezer here, which is just, you know, BBC ice cream field. I think they just hang up in there, basically. Um, and now as I get a little bit older, I tend to get a bit more, I guess, picky with what I'm mm -hmm. buying. If I'm buying new release stuff, I want, I want it to actually be something that I'm going to wear, as opposed to 95% of the other stuff that I own that is literally just hanging up in my BBC ice cream walk-in closet, basically, and never gets touched. And I, I actually have that same problem, and I actually do the exact same thing. Like, if I'm going to buy anything old or new, I try to make sure that it's something that I would wear now and maybe in the future. So, uh, uh, more conservative, right? We. I, I, I've actually bought more of the um, those pocket uh, tees with the very small embroidered uh, logo or design on the pocket tee. It doesn't have anything anywhere of you know BBC ice cream that's super loud and big and and noticeable. I've, I've started to buy things that are just a little more uh, discreet and, and conservative. So yeah, I'm the same way. And, and and you're right. Like a lot of my my collection 
is just in my closet, just sitting there. And then every once in a while, a buddy comes over and I'll be able to kind of show off and, 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 and kind of flex my collection. Stunt, stunt for all yeah. of 20 minutes, yeah. yeah. And then lock it all away again for another three it's, months. It's, I know, yeah. Exactly. I know the feeling. Exactly, exactly. Now, I guess my last question that I, that I feel like I really want to ask you, um, I mean, I have a couple more, but again, I don't want to keep you on forever. Um, is um, kind of, you know, we, we touched on or you touched on and, and spoke about uh, how bad the business relationship happened with Reebok and Pharrell. Um, and, you know, as I got older, it was something that I started to find out little by little, really doing research on it and really trying to uh, look for that information, right? It's not something that is really, I mean, at least to my knowledge, that is really uh, uh, publicized out there, right? It's its kind of like within the know. If, if you know the people within those circles, they could tell you for sure how, how things went down. So pretty much, uh, you know, what are your views or thoughts when comparing two iconic producers and designers and know just overall great artists like Kanye and Pharrell right and what do I mean by that um you know uh Kanye as we all know has worked with Nike and 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 a a ton of of people but has always had I guess a very ugly turnout right like when he worked with Chanel or Louis Vuitton it seemed like he had something negative to say about how he uh was treated or how his ideas were ignored um, and, and, and that was very publicized, right? Everything that Kanye did, any, anytime it was in fashion, it was, oh, Kanye stormed out and this and that, and he was very arrogant. Whereas anything that happened with Pharrell, not necessarily that it was hush hush, but you didn't know much about it. Um, so, uh, it seems to me that, um, you know, because Pharrell has tried to keep a lot of his business private, his, his business private, um, it, it's it's worked in his favor. Whereas for Kanye, uh, it has not. Right. Um, so the way I kind of see it, these are kind of similar individuals, kind of like the same person, um, but one is the dark side and one is the light side. Kind of bringing in Star Wars here for this one. Uh, you know, Kanye is, you know, Darth Vader and and, God, and Pharrell is, you know, Luke Skywalker, if, if, if you'll allow me to make such a comparison. Um, you kind of just see, like, how things have gone for the both of them. I mean, they, they were friends and have worked with each other in the past, obviously, with Child Rebel Soldier. Um, but what are you, how do you, how do you, you, you view these two icons in, in fashion and music, how do you, how do you see them? Is it very similar to how I view it as, you know, one being a very loud, crazy, arrogant, obnoxious person, uh, versus somebody who is always pushing the envelope and trying to seek another opportunity and making sure that everybody on all sides is happy, even when it's not. Yeah. I, I agree with you to a, a certain extent there. Um, I I view them as two very different people who have two very different um, work, not work ethics, because they, they are both workaholics, oh. but views on how they should go about their work. And this isn't just 
something that happens to them or in fashion or anything, you know, you could go work for one company down the street, your manager will treat you in a certain way, your colleagues will treat you in a certain way. You could go to another company which does something similar, makes the same product or whatever it might be, or is, I don't know, maybe another software company, whatever it is. And you'll have a completely different working culture, completely different manager, completely different colleagues. And it can be, the, you know, the kind of polar opposite. But what I think with the difference between Kanye and Pharrell is Pharrell takes a more, takes a slower, more rational kind of approach um, to his design work and his collaborations. He's also a bit more hands-off from what I understand. Hmm. You know, he will present ideas to Adidas, but I, I feel they're presenting more ideas to him and to his team at I Am Other. It's a lot more collaborative. There's a lot more back and forth. There's a lot more talk around the concept, the branding, the bigger picture, the story, all this kind of thing. Um, and I think once... You know, him and his team get their points across. They let Adidas go away and work on it and then come back and say, here's what we've got. And then they will say, yes, no, or change this. And they they, they have that kind of um, iterative process until they get to a point where they both meet in the middle, basically. With Kanye, it's very different. Kanye is... Um, very hands-on. He's in control of everything he does. He's in control of um, everything that's going to have his name on it. We we've kind of seen that, you know, like you know, he he left Nike essentially because he couldn't have his own way because there was, you know, he felt I think, you know, there was too much pressure being exerted from other parts of the business that wouldn't let him have the budgets he felt he needed or wouldn't let him produce the designs he wanted to produce which is what attracted him to Adidas because they were just like, okay, we're slipping behind Nike. We're, I guess, kind of more interested in his kind of star power, as it were. And they were like, yeah, here's your budget. Go crazy. And, you know, he is the man that is in, you know, we've, we've seen him, you know, out there walking around empty buildings in Chicago, sourcing where a new factory might be. Um, yeah, I, I, we're not going to see Pharrell doing that for yeah his line of stuff. Mm. He's going to say, Adidas, what do you have for me? You go away and make it, please. You're the experts. But Kanye wants to be hands on with everything. He wants to he wants to know how his item is made from you know design and concept to how it actually gets delivered and gets put on the shelf and how it is displayed in a store. It would not surprise me if you know he is checking what you know when. When his shoes go out to certain boutiques and and things like that that aren't Adidas owned, mm. that are just you know Adidas you know resellers or clients, it wouldn't surprise me if he is asking Adidas to find out how they're being displayed, how they're doing the raffles, how they're picking people to to own them, what they're selling them for, um, what type of customer they're going to, all this kind of stuff. Uh, he he just wants to be hands on. He wants to own everything from end to end, um, and that's I think that's just his way of working. You know, I've I've worked with both those kinds of people as well. I've worked with people that are very hands off, let you get on with whatever you want to get on with. Now I've also worked with people that you know want to micromanage and be involved in everything and know everything and um, be in every meeting with you and stuff like that. And I think 
you know, it, it's just different styles of working. I think you know, obviously Kanye is obviously you know, much more intense, but I think that's his you know his personality type anyway, and that kind of can work in his favour. It can also work against him when things don't work out quite so well. Um, but you know, you look at what he's doing at Easy. They are turning over stupid numbers still. It's crazy. crazy. Still, still just mass, massive numbers. Yeah, a lot of the hype has kind of died down, you know. There's not necessarily people queuing out around the block for them nowadays. Um, although here in Helsinki, you know, we've got like two stores that have Yeezy accounts. And um, if it's a drop of a new type of silhouette, you know, you'll still get people queuing down the street for them. Uh, there's still, you know, raffles that go on for them and things like that. Yeah, yeah, he's still churning out stuff. He's still churning out. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of the stuff recently, the last couple of months that he's putting out. All these like weird and wonderful designs that I would never even imagine in my head, and I would certainly um, not be able to pull off or wear. Mm. But yeah, people are still, yeah, queuing up, still buying it, still turning over big numbers. Um, so yeah, he's obviously doing something right out there, but. You know, like I say, I, d- I don't know what his kind of staff turnover is, you know, because Yeezy itself is run as an independent business, whereas, you know, human, whereas, sorry, like the human race hue type stuff that Pharrell has doesn't. It's just a, it's a sub-brand under Adidas, and Adidas just run it. Whereas, yeah, Yeezy is run as a, as a separate company, basically, which just leverages Adidas to help, you know, manufacture, make, market, distribute, etc. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know what his, you know, day-to-day working practices are what his you know staff turnover is and all that kind of thing but he seems to be making it work yeah, yeah um, for sure and, and like i say you know it's the stuff that he puts out isn't necessarily for me um you know i don't own any yeezys um i've, I've tried many a pair you know david has a a surprisingly large collection of Yeezys as well. People probably don't quite realise. Um, and I've, I've seen some of the really rare stuff that he's got and tried them on. And yeah, they're not really for me. And then again, the clothing line, again, it's um, it's not super high-end, but it's a bit more high-end in terms of the pricing that I would really go for. Um, so, it, and again, the, the kind of design of it all isn't, isn't really kind of for me either. But, you know, he's doing what he does in his own kind of special way. It seems to be working at the moment, whether that kind of hype will die down or whether he'll decide to transition into something else. You, you know, you never quite know with him, but we will see. We will see. Yeah, the reason why I like, worded that question um, so bizarrely, and uh, obviously the comments that I had made uh, prior to uh, you answering the question, is just kind of like, you know, seeing how uh, these relationships... Uh, have been shared publicly on Kanye's side, how it's affected him, right? I mean, again, he still makes money and he's still successful in everything that he does for the most part. But again, like, had he um, maybe uh, conducted business or not shared or made so public a lot of these things, I personally think maybe Virgil may have still been with him. Right. Uh, Maybe maybe there would be more people that would want to jump on the Kanye train. I mean, again, this is a comment that I'm trying to make uh, uh, hypothetically prior to him going to Adidas. Um, You know, it's just it's kind of to your analogy on working at one business and then going down the street to a similar um, field in another office. There's different, you know. 
um, cultures. But also to that point, I wanted to add is that, uh, I mean, you don't always or you shouldn't always or ever uh, speak badly about your old employer, right? Like, how does that make you look, you know, um, or just speak bad about somebody within your field that maybe, you know, because whether you're in architecture or music or this, that, and the other, a lot of, sometimes these, these networks, they're, these, these, um, these circles are small, right? So people talk and people, you know, information gets around. So, uh, for Pharrell being that, uh, I'm sure he's had a lot of bad stuff happen to him in business. Uh, but it, it's not so well known to the point where it affects him wherever he goes. When an opportunity arises, it, it usually, I would assume, comes from um, maybe stories of how well or easy it was to work with him as an individual for design. Whereas for Kanye, it seemed to always be somewhat of a nightmare. So I just, I kind of wanted to see how you, how you broke it down, but you made really great points, man. And, and, and I, I love, I loved what you said. One last one. And I get, I, sorry, I, yeah, just one more very yeah, quick point. Um, yeah, I, I get exactly kind of what you're saying. My only um, kind of follow up to that would be the kind of the world in which Kanye, Pharrell, these kind of you know, huge A-list celebrities live is a, is a very different world unto which um, to which I live. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I wouldn't go and uh, necessarily badmouth an ex-employer, but when you're someone like Kanye, who, whether you like him or don't like him, is one of the, the biggest, most famous people on this planet at this point in time. You could go to any country on this planet, people will know who Kanye West is. When you're that big... Um, you can kind of get away with it to a certain extent. Yeah, it's not always necessarily the right thing to do, but we all know that Kanye kind of um, speaks from his heart, I guess, doesn't necessarily always think about what he's going to say first. You know, and this is what I always say to people that talk about Kanye and talk about how they don't like him or um, they think he's a dick or whatever it might be, or he said this awful thing or this thing or this thing. If you go back and look at anything Kanye has done, contra- you know, anything that's controversial that he's done, any statement he's made or thing that he's done, he's always done it with like the best intentions. Mm. He always has really great ideas, really great intentions, but he just doesn't really know how to articulate himself properly. He doesn't know how to get that idea or that thought out in a calm, measured, sensible approach. Yeah, he just blurts, blurts it out, you know, to the world, for the world to hear. And yeah, if that was any one of us, yeah, then people would be like, you're a dick, you're never going to work again, you know. But yeah, because of that that level of, I was going to say, infamy or, you know, his, his level of fame that he has, he, he can kind of get away with it to a certain extent. Do I think he should do some of the stuff he does? Obviously, no. Um, should he shoot his mouth off and stuff like that? I, I kind of partly love him for it because I'm a huge kind of fan. Same. Um, yeah, I partly love the fact that he speaks from his heart, um, but it is mildly frustrating that he he doesn't really seem to be able to articulate it um, properly or yeah, in a kind of well thought out way. And and that's kind of the issues that he's had when he's um he's left um, certain design houses or collaborations or companies. Um, yeah, he's left them because he has felt he has been 
uh, wronged in some way if people don't want to work the way he wants to work. Um, and he kind of takes it uh, takes it very personally, I mm-hmm. think, again, which you know, I think is probably a, a very personal insecurity type thing for him. Um, and yeah, his way of dealing with that is to just blurt it out because he knows he has this voice that people will listen to. But what he doesn't realise is the stuff that he actually is saying isn't always necessarily the right way to kind of say it or go about it. And I agree with that. So yeah, that, that, that's all I kind of wanted to no, add no, to that, I, I agree with everything. And you know, I just want to make it very clear to the listeners and, and to you, I'm a huge Kanye fan myself. Mm. I, actually, I just acquired my holy grail of, of shoes in my shoe collection, which was the the first Nike Air Yeezy 1. Uh, Ooh, I'm, nice. it, 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 I've been wanting that shoe for forever. I finally got it. <clears throat> So it's not to say that I'm I'm bashing him or against him, and just like and yeah, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean you personally. No, 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 I meant no, in general. I just wanted yeah. to make sure that from what the comments I made that the, the listeners knew, but also too like that the same things that you said. Like I I also like that he is very unapologetically him. I like that he mm-hmm. speaks from from the from his heart, right? Um, and he has no filter. Uh, however. <laughs> Uh, being that he's this genius and we love him for those little characteristics there there there's there seems to be that he lacks the that that balance right like where it's like yes speak from your heart always be you never apologize for being you but <laughs> it's not it's yeah. not good for business to talk bad about your old employer or the people who you've collaborated with but yeah i i, I loved your response and what you added it's that that's awesome that's awesome. Uh, all right. So last one, this is just a, a little bonus question for fun. Um, maybe you've uh, talked about it before or answered it before, but just in case, if you haven't, if in a perfect world uh, you could have Pharrell produce or collab uh, a song or an entire project like an album uh, with an artist, dead or alive, who would it be? And you could go ahead. I, I will I'll also throw in there that you could – Maybe do a repeat. Maybe you'd like to see another Justin Timberlake album, or maybe another Snoop Dogg album. I know, I know, Travis loves that. Uh, or mm-hmm. Jay Z, uh, Mac Miller, Michael Jackson, uh, whoever. Uh, who, who would? Yeah, hands down, I've got an answer immediately. There, there are two artists. Yeah, I, I'd love to see a Michael Jackson project and a Prince project. Basically, um, I think those would be at least the print side of things would be one of the most weird and wonderful eclectic musical experiences ever, ever potentially. I think, you know, a a project with Michael Jackson would have been amazing. Um, You know, I think Justified was obviously an amazing seminal album, uh, but I would love to have had or experience Michael Jackson on some of those tracks as they were kind of initially intended to to do, uh, and you know, and then even more because obviously a lot of the the justified stuff did actually happen in the studio. You know, I think the the concept of the album and some of the music was originally created, and uh, they they had parts of it and they had Michael in mind for it. But obviously, you then have all the stuff that happens in the studio, um, and I would love to have seen. You know, those first few tracks with Michael and then what they could come up with in the studio as well, um, kind of, you know, off the cuff, as it were. Um, I think that would have been amazing. Um, I think it would have been a 
potentially classic Michael album. Mm. And and then yeah, anything that could have been done with Prince, again, I think if they, if Pharrell was there, and I don't mean just Pharrell, I think you'd have to have Sh- uh, Chad in there as well. Um, I think if they were in whole NERD mode where they're fusing everything together and you had the likes of Prince involved in something in that, in a project, um, I think it would be spectacular. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I actually didn't even think of those um, two. I mean, even though I, I threw it out there as for Michael Jackson, that wasn't like my original, like who I'd go to. But you're, you're right. I think those two artists had Pharrell and Chad, even Shay been a part of ma- uh, making a new album for those two artists. It, it, it would be something forever to remember and to bear witness to such a great uh, <laughs> uh art piece right because that's that's what it would end up being right it, it's not just going to be a product it's going to be an art piece like collectors like you you must own the album whether it be vinyl or, or, or cd or whatever but yeah you're right like definitely. those those that would definitely be something very interesting for the whole world uh had that been an opportunity to uh come to fruition for me it would have been um mostly live uh people who are alive so I, I would like to see another snoop dogg pharrell kind of collaboration justin timberlake uh jay-z and one that maybe a lot of people wouldn't even think of um Gwen stefani i'd like to see i would really like to see a, another kind of comeback album for no doubt with nrd helping with uh, concept and and production on a new No Doubt album. I think that would be really nice. I, I really, I grew up with a lot of ska music and, and obviously all types of music. I'm a huge music fan, but I really, really miss that old um, ska, like No Doubt kind of feel, that, nerd, uh, what is it, Sublime and and uh, Real Big Fish kind of feel and that California vibe, the 90s vibe. I kind of miss that. And I would love to see Pharrell and, and uh, Shay and Chad get in there with no doubt and, and try to figure out something uh, interesting. That's those are the people that I would I would want to to hear. I thought I, I thought I did hear a rumor recently that he potentially might be working with Gwen again oh. this year. I can't remember where I saw it or where I heard it from, but it, there was a rumor at least that she was thinking about recording something and he may be involved in some kind of way. Well, it looks like I, I have my homework to do for the day. I, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I'm hooked, man. I'm hooked. And I, I was just thinking while you were kind of mentioning your ones, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see um, a Jay-Z project, um, Eclipse project. Um, but then what I just kind of suddenly thought of was... Um, the uh, maybe remix where he talks about you know the only um artist he's not worked with uh tupac and big now i would yeah again something with those those guys um whether it's kind of in the the form that they were in in the 90s or you know whether that's you know had they you know still been with us whether that was you know the artists they are today and i imagine it would probably both be very different artists as to what they were in the kind of early to mid nineties, um, I think that would have been really, really interesting as well. Because again, I think um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on on the podcast, but I I, I remember I can't remember who I got the information from, but I believe in the kind of late nineties. This was after Tupac had died. 
um, they were putting together one of the kind of posthumous albums. And again, I can't remember who it was that told me. It was somebody that was working on the album, maybe. But yeah, they were, they were kind of putting together the beat. I can't remember which album it was. It was one where like Jazzy Faye was involved and, and stuff like that. Um, and they had reached out to um, Pharrell to to try and get some beats from him, I think, or to try and you know give him some of the acapellas and say, can you work with these? Can you do remixes to them and and stuff like that? And he was initially interested, I think, um, and then it just never came to any kind of fruition or anything. I don't quite know why. But um, he was kind of, I think, partly interested back then in the kind of, yeah, I guess that was probably around 2000 or the early 2000s or whatever. Um, so I, w- I would love to have seen what would have happened there as well. Yeah, you know what? Now that you bring it up, you're right. Like I would, I would have loved to, to kind of see where that would have gone. That would have, uh, that would have been definitely very interesting. Biggie style and Tupac style with a Pharrell sound is definitely something uh, quite intriguing because um, i think like you know the, those two as artists as they kind of evolve musically and personally you know had they you know not not been killed i think they would have evolved into something similar to uh the clips um you know push or mal um or you know the locks or jada kiss or s- somebody someone in, in that kind of mold. And I think, you know, the, the stuff Pharrell would have bought would have been similar to what he bought to those guys. Um, and I think that would have, would have potentially worked quite well. Mm. Do you, um, do you think that, um, that some of these artists would have most likely taken a direction, uh, similar to Jay-Z and how he has kind of evolved as an artist, as an adult, right? Like it, he's not talking about, drugs necessarily the same way or the same kind of things it's it's very business mindset this uh black excellence right this uh, mm-hmm. uh his achievements right uh, you think that, that that would have been something that biggie and Pac would have kind of gone into well you'd like to you'd like to hope so at least yeah. um yeah you'd like to hope any artist um kind of grows and improves and adapts and whatever it may be you know, in terms of their creativity and their, their output over time and as they get older and as they have relationships, get married, have kids, etc., etc. no matter what their kind of status in the kind of music or celebrity world is. Um, and yeah, as you say, Jay has done that very, um, very well. Um, and he has definitely grown and progressed as an artist. And we're seeing that with Tyler at mm-hmm. the moment, you know. As I mentioned, you know, I've mentioned many, many times, never been a big Tyler fan, but that last album um, was absolutely immense. It shows like how far he's come on both, you know, personally as a, you know, as a person um, in terms of his content, his writing, and then, you know, the ability in terms of you know, his writing ability, his composition ability, his production ability, um, you know, all that kind of combined. And we're really seeing that with him. And yeah, I, I would like to think, you know, with, with Park and Big, yeah, you you would see a similar thing, and I think they were, again, already so big in the '90s, you know, when they died, that they would have only have got bigger, and gone on to kind of bigger and better things, and they would be at that kind of Jay Z level. You would hope, you know, they would hope as you would hope as they got older, they would get smarter, and you know, adapt to being older, and yeah, kind of move into this whole. Um, this whole kind of you know, business world, not just, you know, be about, you know, 
the wrapping and the beef and, and all that kind of thing. We, we were starting to see that, you know, with, you know, at least with Parkey, you know, seemingly was trying to get away from, you know, Death Row. He kind of, you know, part, you know, they'd set up Death Row East, but he was trying to move away from that. He had euthanasia records that he'd just set up, you know, a couple of months before he died. You know, he was going to try and get off Death Row and, you know, have his own independent deal. And so, yeah, who knows where that would have gone. Yeah, man, it, it, it's a shame that, uh, I mean, outside of those two tragedies, what a lot of the uh, artists uh, throughout the uh, last, what, 20, 30 years, uh, you know, whether it be to an illness or an overdose or more violence, right? Um, it's it's a shame that we, we, we aren't able to, to fully see what, what would come of these, these individuals, um, artistically um but yeah man that would definitely be interesting a pharrell biggie album or project man that would have been really cool to 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 hear and to to see and i i really wish it was something that that was real yeah i don't think i would ever have liked to have sat in the uh the business meetings between yeah pharrell and 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 Diddy um, <laughs> arguing about what, what was working and what wasn't yeah. and, you know, what beat was good and what was bad and, you know, Christ, that would be, uh, that would be intense, let's oh. say. You know, I know when it, when they've worked together in the past already, you know, obviously without Big, with, with Puff, um, you know, f- from what I've heard, yeah, they're, they're, they've been quite intense studio sessions. Uh, you know, Puff is a, uh, a very intense kind of guy and again you know certainly isn't afraid to give his opinion and push people that little bit kind of further absolutely man to be a fly on that wall just to hear what what's being discussed i would <laughs> i would give anything for that i would give anything for that ah uh, well steven um again I, I still have more questions but i know we've we've probably gone pretty far um this is probably the longest uh, <laughs> podcast I think I've ever recorded, I'll be honest. Forever, but it's been good. It's been go, good. I could go forever. Keep those questions, and then you are more than welcome to uh, to jump back on at any point in the future, and we can uh, we can carry on where we've left off. Thank you so much, man. You know what? This was a real pleasure and an honor, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, you know, uh, uh, finding out about you through the King of Creams and through Doughboy and various other people. I'm so glad that I have continued to uh, see the, th- the content that you're, that you're putting out there for all of us, right, in uh, the community that, that we're in. And, uh, you know, keep up the amazing work and the hard work that you're doing. I, you know, I know that if you do get paid for this, it's not much. Um, this is probably something fueled uh, purely on passion and love and I want to thank you. It doesn't go unnoticed um, uh, for everything that you do. And uh, thank you again for having me on your podcast. Well, no, I've said, yeah, thank you for the kind words. And no, the the pleasure is most definitely all mine. Yeah, this podcast is all about bringing our strange, little, weird, niche community together in some way and uh, letting us all kind of express our thoughts and feelings whether they're kind of good or bad on all of this sort of uh, stuff that we love so the pleasure is most definitely mine 
But on that very uh, positive, humbling note, uh, we will round it off. Um, you can find the show notes, hopefully, if I remember to do them, and all of the other shows, if you want to stream them, on the website, theothers.net. Obviously, others with a Z. Uh, there may be some more stuff coming to the site sooner as well, so keep your eyes peeled there, but uh, I'll announce it if that happens. You can find the podcast itself on Instagram and all those places at Others Podcast. You can find me everywhere at Steve R. Penny. And Julio, where can people find your good self? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Saint July, S A I N T J U L Y. And do you mind if I give a couple shout outs? No, no, go for I, it. Go I just wanted it. to quickly shout out the six letter King of Creams. Doughboy, Lish Rodriguez, and of course you, Stephen Penny. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Very kind of you. And yeah, shout out to all those guys. But yes, let's wrap it up there. Links in the show notes, all that stuff. Find us online and yeah, find Julio online. Go give him a follow, all that stuff. Um, and that's it from me for this week. And hopefully I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye.